This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How is everybody doing on a Wednesday after the A's absolutely crushed the White Sox? 14-4. Man, they were putting up some big nut. Two touchdowns. You know, A's offense looking good. And at this time of the year, like, we're starting to see so many injuries that you just want to keep everybody healthy. That's all you want to do. You know, the Blue Jays got bad news. Looks like Kirby Yates is going to need uh, Tommy John surgery. Our old buddy Chris Davis is hurt in Texas. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're less than a week away. Or we're just about a week away. That's right. Well, because it's, it's Thursday. Yeah. Just stay healthy. That's the main key. Get your bats in, get your innings in, get your work. But staying healthy is the number one thing. Ray Fossey is going to join us in moments. Stephen Piscotti, right fielder for your A's, is going to be here at 510. One of the great voices of the game, Dan Shulman, who is on ESPN and does the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll be covering the, the Baby Jays today at 5.30. They're, they're going to be a fantastic – they're going to be a, a, a fantastic team. I think they're going to be really good, and they're also going to be super interesting because they're going to play some games at their, their spring training site. They may go back to Buffalo before they ever get to go to Toronto. Paul Himikides from ESPN will be here at 6, and then A's right-hander Dalton Jeffries will be here at 6.30. Ray Fossey, how are you? Tony, I'm doing well, buddy. How are you guys doing? Cody, you okay? I'm good, Ray. Thank you for asking. You know, just nothing like doing a show after a three-hour and 17-minute long spring training game. I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. I'm just happy I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) Camelback Ranch. When I got the text from Cody saying, uh, I'll let you know, and then I happened to turn on the game, and I said, you've got to be kidding me. I've met uh, – Carol and I went over to the park and met uh, our, da- our granddaughters uh, and daughter. And uh, so uh, Madeline and Abigail were playing, and Lindsay and my wife and I were visiting and uh, rushed back here, and game's still going on. I said, wow. Now, I'm getting packed up, ready to head back. So uh, I'm getting ready for the season. We have a TV game. NBC Sports uh, California on Saturday. Be working with Mr. Glenn Kuyper, and uh, we'll have that game on Saturday, and then get ready for opening night, which happens to be one week from tomorrow night. How sweet does that sound? Oh, it sounds so good. And so, when you're packing up, like how much, like how much stuff do you got to bring? Because basically, you're coming back to your house in the Bay Area for what the next six months. Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I have. <laughs> I just bring my baseball stuff back and a few clothes because, you know, we we come back and forth, uh, especially in the off season. So I learned something from the great Steve Vucinich, and um, he he said I try to have enough in the Bay Area when he comes back there, and the same in 
Arizona. So when he travels back and forth, you don't have to take a lot of stuff. And I'm kind of the same way. So it's uh, it's a learning process, but uh, looking forward to getting back, looking forward to starting the season because I know everybody's looking forward to it. I have to say, though, Tony, up front, um, everybody knows that it's going to be a, what, 20% of capacity, so it's about 11,000. Uh, Dave Cavill's take, take a lot of heat, and the president of the athletics, and I think it's unnecessary. You know, fans, I think, have to be happy that uh, there is baseball back and fans are in the stands, not the cardboard cutouts. And, you know, this is still a different season. This is still different. And I know that there are people who are upset who, you know, have had certain seats. Maybe those seats aren't available. And um, I, when, when we had Dave on one of the broadcasts, uh, maybe a week, 10 days ago, uh, I said, when you took the tarps down in the upper deck, did you think that this might help you? Uh, that might help you with the capacity. He said, no, but, you know, in reality, you think about it, and I think uh, everybody should realize that had the tarps been on the upper deck, just like Mount Davis, the capacity is about 35,000. So then you take 20% of that versus 20% of about, what, 46, 47? It's a huge difference. So, you know, I, I just think fans uh, hopefully will have people back uh, as the percentage hopefully will grow each day, each year, or, or each month, I'm sorry. And, and try to get back to normal sooner than later. And at that, that point, then, uh, you know, fans can get back to where they've normally been. But, you know, things have changed. I, you know, I saw in Arizona where uh, Joe Pond, and, uh, uh, who heads the Arizona portion down here, actually the facility, and uh, Steve Finelli came in. I mean, they literally zip-tied the seats and had the social distancing in pods of four and two. And that's going to be the same at the Coliseum. And they have to have a buffer between the field and the um, uh, the rows behind the dugouts and along those lines. So when people do go, they're going to see probably six rows of seats from the bullpen all the way to the other bullpen that are vacant because they have to have the buffer between the field and the fans. And then there's no diamond level. So there's there's a lot of seats that aren't going to be available simply because of the protocols. But I think we all just have to be patient. Be happy that baseball is back. They have a very good ball club that you can support either at the park or on TV, listen on radio, whatever it might be. But I think it's going to be a special season. And, and let's just hope that everything gets back to normal sooner than later. We, we've said that for about a year now, I think, Tony. But, but I think yeah. we're, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And to have people in the stands, I think, is going to be outstanding. And those who are going to be able to go and enjoy baseball live at the park, Coliseum, it's going to be a special time for him. Ray, you could go 162-0 and and go on to win the World Series, and people would still find something to complain about. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's, that's the world we live in. But, you know, I, I still think, you know, that we all have to realize that we are still in this situation. You know, uh, there was, a, I, I think, Baltimore or, or Washington, D.C. did open up. But, you know, at one time, Baltimore, which is just up the freeway from Washington, D.C., I think it has 50 percent capacity and the national zero. And, you know, in in, Col or, um, in Florida and Texas, I, I think those governors are pretty much saying, you know, it's wide open. So every place is different. But I think considering what is happening for us and the Coliseum and the Oakland A's, we just have to be happy to have fans. And believe me, the A's fans are the best and the loudest in all of baseball. And I think Elvis Andrus, he, he said it best. He's looking forward to playing for Bob Melvin, number one, playing 
at the Coliseum looking forward to seeing what signs are going to be put up. Because as a visitor coming in with the Rangers for all those years, he would hear the fans and he would see those signs. And now he gets to be a part of that. And I think we're going to see a rejuvenated Elvis Andrus and Jed Lowry swinging the bat well, playing well at second base. Sean Murphy today, another home run, a big day for him. Uh, Laureano's back in the lineup. He had the big double yesterday. So things are looking great. Um, I, listen, I, I think everybody has to be excited about what's up and coming for the athletics. And by the way, I was reading, I think it was MLB or somebody was projecting uh, who's going to win the divisions. And they had the Angels winning the Western Division. I went, Whoa, oh, wait a minute. I think the A's have a five-man rotation that will, will head up against anybody. And uh, granted, the Angels have Shohei Otani's pitching well and Bundy and, and maybe Heaney. And, but, but you know what? I, I still – I think the A's are going to have a fantastic season. And it might be a two-team race between uh, the Angels and the Athletics. But I still think the A's are going to be there simply because they have the pitching, they have the depth, they have the bullpen. And uh, I, I think being not as close to these guys as we'd like to be, but just seeing the enthusiasm and hearing – the players talk about what they're looking forward to in this 21 season is really, really special. Great. I, I don't get it. And this happens every year. I mean, we got people picking the Astros. We got people <laughs> picking the Angels. And it's just, and, and it's like every year the same thing happens the last couple of years. People are like shocked. Wow, the A's won 97 games. According to my baseball magazine, if the A's, with their record last year of 36 and 24, if you yeah. put that out for a 162-game season, they would have won 97 games again. That's three straight years winning 97 games. When are people going to figure it out? You know, I, I agree with you. And, and I was uh, – you had a guest on. I can't remember who it was talking about how the A's lost all these key players. And then at the last, at, towards the end and before spring training, David Force and Billy Bean acquired all these players. And I would think, and, and I, I'm sorry I didn't mention the Astros, that I was just thinking about the Angels being picked to win the division. You know, the Astros are not going to stand for that either. But, but I, I think the bottom line is that you have to look at what the A's did towards the end. And if, if they're part of the, the Astros and the Angels who maybe were thinking, hey, this is going to be a good year for us because the A's lost so many key players, then all of a sudden all of those parts that were lost were filled in by very good players. I mean, Rosenthal is a closer, a proven closer. He's healthy. Elvis Andrus has to be just chomping at the bit to get started again and, and maybe showing the Rangers that he's not finished. And, um, you know, Laureano in the center field, Piscotti's starting to swing the bat well. How about uh, Chad Pender? There's nobody hotter in baseball than Chad Pender right now. And uh, Olsen swinging the bat well. Chapman is healthy. Um, Jed Lutton is fine. Sean Murphy. Uh, and the starters in the bullpen. This is a good club. And I think, again, health is key. And you, you started your show talking about uh, some tough injuries that have occurred. Um, and one of them is George Springer. We don't know how serious that's going to be. But there are some, uh, some teams have to be looking at the athletics and saying, whoa, here they go again. And that's just something that the A's are able to do. And I would be shocked if by the time the season gets towards the end that the A's are not celebrating again. Yeah, I mean, if you're George Springer and you're out right now and you don't know how long Fernando Tease Jr. walked off the field, they haven't really updated what's going on with him. Kirby Yates yeah. going to be getting Tommy John surgery. I mean, at this time of the year, Ray, and think back when you played, it's like with these 
a handful of games left. I mean, you just you just you just want to make sure everybody's like bubble wrapped and no one gets hurt. <laughs> you know, you're exactly right. I mean, you have to play the game the right way, but I think what you see are fewer stolen base attempts. Uh, stolen base. I mean, why take a chance? And uh, so I, I think maybe all that could have been done was done at the beginning of spring training, but now, just like you said, you. You want to keep everybody healthy so that when the club gets on the plane to head back to the Bay Area and start the season, again, no Bay Bridge series, which I think everybody's going to miss that uh, simply because I think from the A standpoint, opening at home, it would have given them an opportunity to be there before the home opener and get a chance to get settled in. But, you know, again, this still is a different season. Uh, the Bay Bridge series will be played essentially in Arizona, and uh, the Giants will head on to Seattle to open, and the A's will come back to Coliseum. But you know, it's still baseball, and you just hope that everybody stays healthy. And I think from the A standpoint, Tony, they had their injuries early in camp, midway through camp. Now you're seeing these guys coming back and playing and performing well, and maybe it's a blessing in disguise to see them kind of get tuned in before the home opener and get ready to go. You know, so many people say, like Matt Olson, oh, you know, save someone for the regular season. I don't believe that. I believe that if you can have a lot of confidence in spring training and swing the bat well or pitch and do whatever it is, you carry that into the season. And I think that's a plus. Instead of saying, well, I don't care about spring training. I'm, I'm two for 30. doesn't matter. I think it does because I think there's, there's pressure that you put on yourself as a hitter to get started on the right foot. And what better way to do that than to bring confidence into the season from spring training. And I think that's where the A's players have done a very good job getting themselves ready for the home opener. Where did you train with the Indians? I was in Tucson, Arizona, High Corbett Field. And at the time, Townie, we were the only team in town. Not, I mean, when, when the, uh, the Diamondbacks went there and the White Sox, there were three teams in Tucson. And then I think there was some sort of an agreement that if it got down to two, that they could, they could move whatever. But Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the White Sox, has a home in Paradise Valley. And uh, I don't think he was happy driving back and forth from Paradise Valley to Tucson to watch his team play. So they moved over to Glendale, where the A's were today. Uh, Dodgers came from Vero Beach to, uh, to join them. And, uh, but, you know, at the time, we were in Tucson. And, Townie, unlike what happens today, where let, let's say we would have had three games in the uh, Phoenix area against, you know, three different teams, we'd have three different bus rides. <laughs> we wouldn't spend the night. They don't want to spend the money. You know, we would just we would just go back and forth, back and forth. And you know, the funny thing, we get on the bus early in the morning, and we fake sleeping so we take up two seats so we could have the whole road to ourselves. <laughs> you know, times have changed, but at that time it was simply get on the bus, go to the game, and take your batting practice and infield practice because you know we we had to get up early to go. And um, but I think the sad part for the Indians when they moved to Florida and that unfortunate uh, hurricane came and wiped out their stadium and a couple of players were out on the, on the lake and, and got killed. And, you know, just, they eventually moved back here to Goodyear to join Cincinnati. But so I, I think that's why it's great now to have 15 teams in the Valley or in Arizona, 15 in Florida. And that's why it was rare for the A's to have an off day this past Sunday, because with 15 teams and no split squads, that means a team had to be off or two teams actually, well, our one team had to be off every day of spring training, simply because of the 15 teams. And, it's just so rare to have a Sunday off in spring training, but that's what happened with the A's last Sunday. Do you think this spring training 
the way we don't have all the minor league players, no split squads, uh, less time hanging around, more get in, do your work, and get out. And a lot of it still is because uh, trying to protect yourself from COVID-19. But it just seems like it may be a little more efficient. I'm not down there, so I don't know. I'm going to take uh, Chris Bassett's word. Do you think this is going to train change spring training forever? I think it will, Tony. I, I think uh, I think from the A standpoint, I, I really enjoy. And again, I talked to Scott Emerson prior to spring training beginning. I, I may have mentioned it, and I was reluctant to say what he said, and that he was his starters were not going to be on the mound for ten days to start the exhibition season. And then all of a sudden, I hear people talk start talking about well. So-and-so is going to pitch on Thursday or Friday, which was about five days in. So I, I didn't say anything. But as it turned out, the starters were 10 games into spring training before they did take the mound. Now, they were at Fitch Park. They were throwing simulated games. They were getting their pitch count up. They were getting their arm strength up. And I think it was brilliant from Scott Emerson's standpoint so that whenever the starter pitched in an A game, that he was throwing 50 to 60 pitches instead of going out for an inning and, and throwing 20 or 30 and then he's done for the day and done for five days and then coming back. But I think the guys got on the regular routine at Fitch Park so that whenever they came here, they got into the swing of things. Now, remember, Tony, with the exception of the Astros, every Western Division team in the American League and actually all National League teams are, are playing the spring training in Arizona. So on one hand, you, you see where uh, – and I heard – uh, I think it was Bob Millman talking about Chris Bassett added a pitch and, or, or Scott Emerson. And, and they said, well, you know, they've seen him and he's seen them. But, you know, there was a time when I, I think Phoenix Hernandez was the first that he was scheduled to pitch, I think, against the A's. And instead of having him face the A's and let the A's see what everybody knows he throws anyway, he pitched a B game against their minor league complex players so that he didn't show – anything to the athletics well between the scatter reports and all the other stuff there, there's no secrets about anything but I, I think from your standpoint of what you're talking about I think it's going to change with regard to the pitchers I think they're still going to come when they do pitchers and catchers early because they need to get their arms uh, in shape and ready to go and you can't really mandate that they pitch during the offseason away from uh, the park where they're going to be spring training because you want to have them monitored and what they're doing but I, I think it's going to change. Um, the, the, the thing that's surprising to me, and it happened to Sean Manaya. he pitched today, but his last start, he struggled in the first inning and came out of the game and went back out for the second. <laughs> you talk about strange. And then, then you, you know, you see in the, uh, I, I don't know what they call it, the rollover or whatever, where everybody just, okay, game, you know, inning's over. My pitcher's thrown too many. We're going to, you know. I mean, there are a lot of rule changes in Arizona, especially this year, that really kind of take the old traditionalists a little bit and say, what is going on with this? But um, I think to some degree that helps because in the case of Anaya, he needs to get his work in. And, um, you know, and like Chris Bassett, who started first for the athletics, he was so efficient that he had to go to the bullpen and complete throwing the number of pitches he was scheduled to throw in the game, but he was so good and other pitchers had to pitch that he went to the bullpen. So uh, there are changes that are going to happen, but I think the way the A's have done it, especially with their starting pitchers, has been outstanding. And I think for the pitchers in general, it has been good for them because it seems they're healthy. The bullpen's pitching well. The starters now are pitching in their normal turns. 
And now we all just have to figure out, unless you guys have heard something that I haven't today about who the opening night starter is going to be, uh, Melvin's still kind of keeping that uh, to himself. You know, Ray, I, I, I really have been questioning quite a few rules in the game. And the one you just talked about, every other team sport we got rolling, football, basketball, hockey, you come in, you come out, you come in, you come out. I mean, hockey's got rotations, they got lines. I mean, you got offense, you got defense and football. Why can't you come out of the game and go back in? Because it messes up my scorebook. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, you win. You win. You win. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know what? I, I said it yesterday, and, uh, you know, when they start making changes in the seventh inning, I mean, your scorebook looks like a mess. I oh. mean, it really does. And, and the nice thing about the regular season, it looks like the A's and the 26-man roster will have 13 pitchers, 13 position players. But the, the, the extra guys who are not playing, uh, there's going to be, of course, nine playing because of the DH, which we have, we have to talk about that as well before we end the show today. But, but I think that leaves four extra guys on the bench. But you don't see a lot of changing during the regular season, which makes my scorebook great. Except when we go to the National League this year and they have the pitchers hitting, and the last few games the A's have played against National League teams, the pitchers have been hitting, and it's been embarrassing. It really has. No, to, to see no. the pitcher come up and take three pitches and go back. And, you know, I asked uh, Hermes, um, uh Garcia yesterday. We had him on as a guest during the game. Because they had a situation where they had a run at second base, and Dalton Jeffries was just unbelievable. He struck out the side in the second inning. But – the eighth-place hitter was up with a pitcher in the on-deck circle, runner at second, actually run at third because of the leadoff triple. And I asked him, I said, having been in the National League, did you think about the fact that you had the pitcher in the on-deck circle? He said, absolutely. He said, I pointed to my mask, which basically it's his head telling the pitcher to think because you do not want to get this eighth-place hitter something good to hit with a pitcher in the on-deck circle, which in most cases, the guy can't hit. And in some cases, they get hurt, and I think the Diamondbacks are upset right now because the pitcher who was supposed to pitch on Monday was scratched because of a forearm injury occurring while he was taking batting practice and got jammed, and it turned out the hairline fracture, and they don't know how long he's going to be out. So little things like that, Townie, affect what happens in a game. But, but I, I think, to be honest, I like to see and, – and that's why Cal Ripken Jr. played in uh, what – uh, 3,600 or, or 2,600, 2,632, 2,632 consecutive games. You know what? You, you start the season, you want to play every inning, you want to play all the time, and I think this gives the opportunity to guys like Marcus Simeon and, and 19 played every day. Uh, and so little things like that, you, you take a lot of pride in being available, healthy, strong enough to play an entire season. I don't like that rule about – coming in and going out and all that kind of stuff. I think, Tony, they may have changed something in the All-Star game for catchers because when I was there, uh, we had three catchers. But from what I heard, and again, maybe this has changed, but at one time, you could carry two catchers, and if the starting catch left the game, let's say after five innings, and the guy coming in to back him up got hurt, then that catcher who started could go back in, but not any other position. And that was strictly just for the All-Star game. And that's why you have to have somebody, and Chad Pender's the guy, that if you carry two catchers, and God forbid they both get hurt in the same game, Chad Pender, I think, could go in 
and catch until the next day when you get somebody else up who's actually a catcher. Yeah, I don't ever want to see that. <laughs> what do you think about the DH rule, Tony? I, I, I think everybody should have the DH. Everybody in baseball from high school, junior college, college, minor leagues, see the mayor, everybody has the DH except the National League. That's right. Everybody. That's, I know that. I, I know that. And that, that's what's surprising to me. And I thought maybe they would at the last minute change it for this year, but we had the PR guy come in from the Diamondbacks and he brought up a good point. He said, once they decided to have pitchers hitting this year, unlike last year, then nationally clubs constructed their rosters accordingly. Now, if they were to change that prior to the opening day, and then all of a sudden guys like Nelson Cruz and I think Ozuna, a couple of guys that maybe could have gone to the National League, but because they're strictly, or at least Cruz, we know strictly a DH, um, and Ozuna stayed in the National League. But but I, I think it will stay the same this year. But but I have a feeling that when the collective bargaining agreement expires in December, that one of the rule changes will be a universal designated hitter. Because how many? If you do the math of 15 teams in the National League and you have five starters, and I'm not talking about the full roster of pitchers, but five starters, there you go. There's 75 pitchers that are forced to swing the bat. How many of those 75 starters are capable of doing anything special? Didn't you the other day talk about the batting average of um, Madison Bumgarner? Yeah. Talk, to, talk about like a sub 200. Yeah. Oh, but he's a great hitter. You know, yeah, maybe every so often. And I was quick to point out the other day when our guys were talking about, well, Madison Bumgarner and the Roger Craig, uh, I think it was Craig, who had him pitch and hit, and he got a double. And I said, did you forget that the center field of the A's had misjudged the ball? Oh, yeah, that's right. I said, yeah, I know it's right, because I remember it happening, and everybody was praising Bumgarner, and he's a good hitter. But he's not an everyday player hitter. And I, I think people are correct when they say, why should I go to a ball game and watch a pitcher stand at the plate and strike out whenever I know if there are nine hitters in that lineup that there's a chance that maybe that ninth place hitter could drive in a run versus a pitcher not having much of a chance to do anything except try to avoid getting hurt. Uh, the minute Max Scherzer tries to bunt and the ball <laughs> goes right into his nose and he breaks his nose, uh, they should have made the full-time DH right at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious to see him with a black eye. <laughs> you know, but, Seriously. you know, and, <laughs> but no, and, and I'll be honest with you, Tony, before we had the designated hitter in the 73 and it's Ron Bloomberg. I, I, you guys were talking about it, trying to figure out who, I think it was Ron Bloomberg. Who's the first DH for the Yankees. Um, but, uh, you know, prior to that, we had some good hitters and, and uh, especially with the A's and, and catfish and, and Holtzman and, Vida and Blue Moon guys could actually swing the bat well, and really, you know, it, it it was something that you had to consider as an opposing team. You had to consider these guys were pretty decent hitters that you just couldn't flip a fastball up there and say, okay, he's just going to swing wildly at it and head back to dugout. And uh, so, but but I think times are different now because, like you said, everybody coming up through the minor league ranks or amateur ball in the minor league ranks, you have a designated hitter, and. You know, our guys pointed out the other day also that if two National League teams play against each other in AAA or the minor leagues, they use the pitchers. Otherwise, you use a DH. But but I, I still think that, um, you know, and I'm sure there are going to be pitchers in the National League who will say, what are you talking about? I, I just believe it's a better game 
when you have nine players, and I know as a catcher, not not like with uh, Garcia yesterday and, and looking over and seeing there's a pitcher in the on-deck circle. You know, when you, you're thinking about nine, nine hitters in that lineup, it makes it tough on your pitcher, and it makes the game, I think, interesting because you have a chance to have offense, which I think every fan wants to see. And if you're the number eight hitter in the National League, you basically go yeah. a whole season seeing nothing. Well, and if you get a hit, shame on the pitcher catcher who allows that to happen, especially with the runner in scoring position. And, you know, you, you, you can't let it happen. There's no way because you're right. And, and you have to have somebody special. You remember when La Russa, I think Tony was the first that had his pitcher hit eighth and had his yeah. somebody else hit ninth because he had Pujols and guys hitting in the power positions. And he would have preferred to have somebody hitting ninth who had a chance to get on base versus the pitcher. And, you know, maybe that guy wasn't happy to hit ninth. But in the American League, you got, you got a chance to be one through nine just to be in the lineup. And who cares who that ninth place hitter is? And you look at the Angels when they had Sean Figgins and uh, 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 Epstein, Epstein. Yeah, David Epstein. They had them hitting ninth, nine, nine and one. So he essentially had two leadoff hitters. So, you know, you, you get on base, you set the table for the middle part of the lineup. So there's a lot of maneuvering that can go on. But, you know, for people to say, well, in the National League, you have the double switch and the, and the pitchers and pinch hitting, I just think it messes up the scorebook too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> and if the pitcher gets on base, you got to run him out of jacket. It's like, come on, what are we doing here? Well, and you also have to worry about him getting hurt because yeah. um, there was a pitcher with the Yankees um, Cody knows everything, so maybe he can interject and, and remind me who I'm thinking about. But he tore his, his Achilles as he crossed home plate, and Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner, was yelling, "Get the pitchers off the field!" They, you know, because you know it's one thing everybody gets excited when they get a hit, but then they have to run the bases. And if you're an opposing team, you're hoping that somebody hits a ball and that pitcher has to run because then he has to go back out on the mound and try to pitch after running the bases which I think position players will tell you that it takes a lot out of you, even though you think 90 feet is not a long way. But when you're sprinting to that base or sprinting from first to third or second to home or whatever it might be, it does take a lot out of you. So I just, I just think, again, it, it's probably going to happen after this year. Uh, I'm personally disappointed that um, it, it's not the universal DH in 21, especially after last year, because now you have those pitchers, who didn't hit last year in the National League have to hit this year. And I think that's why we're seeing and did see in Monday and Tuesday's games that playing the National League teams, they had their pitchers hitting. Because if you think about Tony, in the past it was, okay, we'll use the DH because their pitchers are getting enough work. Now they haven't. And maybe that's why the, the National League teams are forced to use their pitchers in situations that normally they would not. And you just hope that they don't get hurt. You know, we talked about teams – being healthy, getting ready for the season to begin. How do you think about a National League team that has a pitcher, one of your five in the rotation, and he's going up and swinging the bat, and you're just praying that he doesn't get hurt? Oh, my God. Ray, do you realize we're going to see you in a week? I can't wait. Are you guys coming to the park? Are you going to be out there? We're, we're finally going to be allowed back in. Oh, that's great. That's tremendous. Out on the field or upstairs? Upstairs. Well, you're a tier three like us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll come, I'll come down and visit you because we, we can't leave up the upper deck. I mean, that's fine. 
you know, just happy to be there, man, because it's, it's baseball. And, uh, you know, I, I was joking when uh, they talked about allowing fans in the seats. I said, you know, one thing's going to change. No tents behind the dugout or down in the bullpen. And you won't see pitchers down in the bullpen running the stairs to get loose. They can't, they're going to have to stay in their, their area on the, uh, on the field, and guys are going to have to sit in the dugout. You just cannot because fans are going to be in stands. So it was unique in 2020. We're getting back somewhat to normalcy in 21, and let's hope sooner than later we can have the, uh, the capacity there. But I'm happy that you and Cody will be upstairs and at the park and I don't want to hear you complaining about a long game and you getting home late and all that kind of stuff. You just enjoy being at the park like I know you will. I'm just going to complain about three hours and 17 minutes spring training. <laughs> uh, Ray, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your broadcast last year captured a player. I don't remember what team. Obviously, it was someone on one of the West teams. Do you remember last year when you 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 were on TV and – how was it a Mariner or an Astro? A guy Zach, was, Zach Grinke. Zach Grinke. Just roaming around the coast. Yeah. And and he finished. He, they took him out. He put his jacket on was sitting in the stands. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. But <laughs> but that's Grinke. You know? <laughs> that, you know, that's the same guy sits down on the mound. And, you know, I remember, I think he called in, maybe it's Coliseum, Clay Wood. And he called out the grounds crew. And when they got out there, he said, there's nothing wrong with this. You guys do a great job. He said, I'm just not pitching well, and I needed a break, you know. <laughs> but that's cranky. But you know, we we had a shot last year, literally, somebody in the A's bullpen running up and down the stairs uh, from from the field level up to the concourse. And you know what? I used to run stairs to stay in shape or get in shape. Well, you, you think about a pitcher who gets up on the mound and starts throwing. Well, if he can run the stairs to get his legs sharp, then by the time he starts to throw. He, you know, he doesn't need that many throws. But again, all those things that uh, were kind of funny last year uh, and and different, we won't see this year just because, fortunately, fans are going to be in the stands. And again, I can't emphasize enough that those who are fortunate to get tickets enjoy it. And uh, you know, we 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 knew this year that that uh, Hohokam, one thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight. That was capacity. No matter how many, you know, playing the Cubs, playing whomever it was going to be maximum 1,998. So hopefully next spring that all changes. But in the meantime, uh, let's be happy to have fans in the stand starting next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, and then look forward to an outstanding season with the athletics. Have a safe trip back, Ray. We'll see you on Thursday. Look forward to it. Cody, take care, buddy. Doing a great job. And uh, tell have you done Dan Shulman already? Yes. Okay. He's a good man. He's a yeah, good man. He's- I- I, I feel badly for the Blue Jays because um, I don't know when they can get back into Canada because I think they are quarantined, people, teams going in and out. So um, I, I don't know if they'll ever get back. Not this year anyway. But will, uh, they, will, will they be? Will they be the best team in New York State? <laughs> That's a great point. That's yeah. a great point. That's right. The Mets, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays all played in New York. That's that's like the old times, uh, you know, with the Brooklyns and the uh, the New Yorks. And uh, yeah, that's 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 a good point. You're smart. That's why you're top of your game all the time. <laughs> all right, buddy. Be well. Be safe. Hey, hey. By the way, how's the chicken pie shop in Walnut Creek? We're well? open. For, we're we're back indoors. Wow. 
Well, you know what? I still say, and while all the broadcasters really are very much appreciate you sending out all the goodies when we were stuck at the Coliseum or at the Coliseum and, and uh, your, your man delivered all the good stuff and it was tremendous. So can't wait to go in there firsthand. And I'm sure the people who have already been there can actually say exactly what I say. Food is outstanding at the chicken pie shop in Walnut Creek. You're the best. Talk to you next week, buddy. The great Ray Fossey right here. Yes. The chicken, I, I know our spot still talks. We haven't changed our spot. Uh, but, yes, indoor dining in Walnut Creek at the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. You can still do takeout. You can still sit out on the patio, the outdoor dining that we built. And takeout, you can still get beer, wine, and spirits. But if you want to eat indoors, the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek is open. Coming up next, Stephen Piscotti right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. Well, earlier today, we caught up with the right fielder of your Oakland Athletics, Bay Area's own Stephen Piscotti. Hey, it's great to talk to you again. How's the fun going for you? Going well. It's uh, going a little better now with the with the homer. So uh, hopefully, sign of more things to come. But it's been a good camp. Um, guys are really gelling and we're having a good time. So we're just trying to finish this last week strong here and uh, you know, get to open and get ready to roll. Yeah, just how much is it? You know, you want to get your at bats. You want to get into game mode, but you, you want to try and keep everybody as healthy as possible. Yeah, no doubt. I mean that's. That's step one, you know, stay healthy and, and be healthy and strong, you know, going into the season. Um, you know, our training staff, training coaches, they do a tremendous job keeping us um, ready to roll. Uh, but that's, that's the biggest thing. You can't be doing anything or being productive if you're, if you're hurt. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, half the battle. So um, I think, you know, everyone's done pretty well. Everyone kind of has a little bit of bumps and bruises, but I think everyone's, you know, gotten through that uh, mostly pretty good. You know, I've been asking everybody about what is it like to have the fans back? And you see just great appreciation from the players all around baseball to have fam- fans back. What's it been like for you? Um, it, it's been great. You know, it gives you a little boost of energy. Um, you, know, you can feel the buzz in the crowd. You know, when someone hits a homer, you know, it's, um, it's been a lot, a lot of uh, let's go open chance. And that's been really cool, you know, throwing balls to kids in the in the bleachers, I mean, some of the things that you took for granted, um, getting those things back, it's, it's awesome. And um, it's really a, a great thing and, and really excited for, uh, you know, the season getting getting fans back there too. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's slowly but surely trying to get back to normal. Just, just how different is it now versus what you did last year with spring training, stopping, summer camp, and then the 60-game schedule? Is it, is it, is, do you feel a big difference in going into this season? Yeah, I mean, last year was so unique. Um, and there's some similarities, honestly, you know, with, with testing and protocols and, and that sort of thing. You know, we're still doing that and having to take that very seriously. Um, and so that's, that's still a part of it, but you know, the time of year and, and having fans, like we were just talking about, um, there's some things that really, uh, you know, make it feel normal again. So, um, you know, that's been great. And, you know, I hopefully, you know, as the season goes, um, and you know, 
people get vaccinated and whatnot, I think, you know, hopefully we'll get to the, a true normal here, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, when I think about your ball club, you know, winning 97 games, two straight years, then winning the division last year, you know, obviously the playoffs, you haven't gone as deep as you want to, but do you feel like now is finally the time for this core group and this team? Absolutely. Um, you know, we've gotten some playoff experience the last three years. Um, we know, we now know what it takes to, to do it and to, to advance, um, you know, winning you know, that first wild card series, I think was a big step. And, um, I think, you know, we've, we've got some confidence, you know, having, having that experience. So, um, this group, uh, you know, has a lot of veterans now too, that, that have had that experience. And, you know, I think that's only going to benefit us, but, um, you know, this, this club has been rolling for several years now and it definitely feels like the year. You know, Chris Bassett talked about how spring training has changed a little bit. Maybe the hours are not as long, not as much standing around, playing games a lot against uh, your own team and being able to, you know, ask a guy, hey, had this breaking ball look to you and, you know, get, get that data back from other players. Have you noticed a, a, a change in how things are run? Yeah, I mean, the days are shorter. It's, it's a get in, do your work, and, and get out of there, you know, from the COVID um, perspective. I, I'm used to, you know, years of, of coming in and, you know, being in the ballpark at 5.30 or 6, and, you know, you're there till till 4 o'clock or so. Um, so it, it is a little different. And then, you know, like Bassett was talking about, there is a lot more dialogue, um, you know, going on. And I think that's also part of just, you know, this team. A lot of guys are familiar with each other and, and know um, – we know each other uh, pretty well and can, um, you know, give advice or, or tips or, or thoughts that, um, you know, can help. So that's been a really cool part of camp for sure. I've definitely noticed that as well. Yeah. He, uh, Chris was funny. He was like, you know, team guys are going to change teams. And he goes, you know, guys will leave Oakland and then they'll, they'll tell you that they're miserable where they are because the team's not fun. I mean, I mean, there's something about the special relationship that you guys have inside your clubhouse. Absolutely. It's just a b bunch of down to earth, uh, good human beings that like to work hard and, and have fun. And I think that's, that's a, a, a key balance there. You, you know, it's a monotonous um, season at times you know, you're playing, you know, nearly every day and, to be able to, to relax and laugh, I mean, that just – that means so much. And, um, you know, this, this team just loves to have fun, and, you know, it, it's just incredible. So, um, you know, that, that chemistry piece has been with us for, for some time now, and that's not going away anytime soon. You know, whether somebody had a great year or they had a bad year last year, can you really take anything from the 2020 season? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, this at the end of the day, I know there were some different circumstances, but, you know, we were, we were playing ball and, and being competitive. Um, you know, I think there's things you can learn and, and, uh, you know, build from, from last year. And I think, you know, it's just one of those things where um, it was a short season where you didn't really have time to recover if you had a bad month or a bad stretch or whatever it was. Um, so I think from a numbers perspective, you try to, you know, disregard that a bit. Um, but take, you know, the lessons that you might have learned from whether how guys are pitching you or mechanics, whatever it may be, you know, it's still a very useful 60-game um, set to, to look back on, uh, but you just try to not dwell on the numbers too much. So I don't know if you guys are talking about it, but we're talking about it. That first series 
against the Houston Astros. There's no love loss between these two franchises. Our fan base, whether it's 11,000 people, whatever it is, everybody's going to be juiced and, and want to be yelling at these guys. Have you guys at all talked about, oh, this first series is going to be very interesting? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a competitive series, and, you know, they beat us in the playoffs, so we've got that chip on our shoulder and, and wanting to come out and, uh, and dominate as best we can. Um, there's no doubt, you know, it's the first time, you know, that team will be out on a field with, with fans. So we'll see how that dynamic goes, but, um, we're very excited. Obviously any opening day, you're very excited. Um, but it's, it's, it's also great to, to play a rival. And I think, um, you know, we're going to come prepared and, and juiced as well. You know, Jed Lowry back, Elvis Andrus, who's, you know, torn up the A's for years. Now the A's shortstop. What, what, what have the new additions been like to your lineup? You know, there's, there's been a, you know, veteran presence, you know, they, these guys have you know played 10 plus years and have, you know, a ton of experience and a ton of, you know, trial and error. And, and you know, they've, they've been very vocal as leaders um, from day one, really. And it, it's been great. You know, I think everyone's, um, you know, receptive to that. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked to Elvis and, and Jed both about hitting and, and how they think about things and trying to, you know, find what, what might work for me that, you know, they do really well. Um, and that's, that's happening, you know, throughout, throughout our clubhouse. So, um, you know, those two great, those two guys are great additions. Obviously Jed had a tremendous season um, back in 18 and, and we all know that Jed, he looks healthy and, and ready to roll. And, you know, Elvis looks great too. So, um, you know, we're, we're looking pretty good. Yeah. I felt so bad for Jed. He was coming off just two monster years. Uh, one of the years, he set the record for doubles. The next year, he's an all-star. And then to go to New York and not be able to perform, I think he's just got to be real, real happy for the fact that he's healthy for the first time in a couple years. Absolutely. And like I said, he looks great. I bet he's got you know a chip on his shoulder and something to prove um, that you know he, he hasn't lost a step, even though he had you know, some um, injury you know stuff. But, man, he looks great. And, uh, his swing looks just like I remember it from, from 2018. Um, so I, I think that was a tremendous uh, pickup, and um, I know he's excited for the opportunity as well. And what's it been like watching Matt Olson? He's been red hot. <laughs> he has been scalding. Um, it was funny. I think I read or heard, you know, some of his comments about his, his season last year and, you know, it being a down year for him. But, man, 14 homers, that, that would have been – uh, real nice to, to have, but, um, you know, I think that shows, you know, the kind of you know player he is. He, he's always hungry. He always wants to, to improve and get better. And, um, that's just a great quality to have. And clearly, clearly, you know, what he's worked on is, is, uh, showing dividends right now and, you know, expected to in the season as well. You know, he came on this program at the start of spring and told us that he got too wrapped up in video and he got too much in his own head. And sometimes you got to get back to see ball, hit ball. Have you, have you, have you ever thought about that? How much video do you watch? Or is at some point it can just be too much? Yeah, you can definitely, um, you know, get in there too much and, and think about it uh, more than you need to. Um, at the end of the day, you just got to, you know, see the ball and hit the ball. That's what we've been doing since we were, um, you know, in T-ball really. Um, so really, really good insight from him. And, you know, I've fallen into traps at times looking at video um, today was a, a day for me, honestly, where um, I was I was you know, in my phone and on the iPad looking at stuff. And my first at bat didn't go too hot, and 
finally, you know, Darren Bush, our hitting guy, was just like, you just need to get in there and get ready and, and see it and hit it. And then um, was able to put the barrel on a few balls, you know, after that. So that's that's definitely a, a good thing to, to be aware of that you can kind of um, overdo it watching that stuff. So um, I'll take I'll take a note from Oli. If I can start hitting like that, that'd be great. I'll stop watching video forever. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Your whole life you didn't watch video, and you were a great player. So yeah, sometimes you got to see ball, hit ball. Let's end on this. We know about your fight against ALS. What did it mean to you that Major League Baseball is going to do Lou Gehrig a Lou Gehrig day? Yeah, that was you know such incredible news and um, something that you know our organization has worked hard on. You know, there was a committee of of organizations pushing for this, and um, we were right there. Um, you know, trying to, to help with that. And um, it was just a, a, a great uh, day when it was announced. We're looking forward to the day, um, really excited about it. And um, we're, we're excited to honor, you know, the player that Lou Gehrig was and, and obviously, you know, raise more awareness for, for ALS and hopefully one day, you know, find a cure. So um, just really um, humbled really to, to have them do that. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day and, and some of the events that, um, we've got going on around that. So, um, yeah, I'm just really, really happy and uh, excited about it. Well, you're a class act, and we always appreciate uh, your time coming on this program. Uh, stay stay healthy the rest of spring, and we can't wait to see you on opening day. Yeah, can't wait. We'll see you there. Opening day is right around the corner. Some of the great words every single year. Happy opening day. Coming up next is one of the top broadcasters in the country, longtime voice on ESPN and of the Toronto Blue Jays. As we continue our spring training tour, we're covering the baby Jays. Cody, do we call them the Florida Jays or the Buffalo Jays? Or will they ever really be the Toronto Blue Jays again? I kind of like the ring of Buffalo Blue Jays. It just has the, the BB, you know, the... Just the, the alliteration of the two Bs, but uh, hopefully get back to Toronto, but we're going to see them, I don't know, maybe playing a multiple spots this year. Coming up next, Dan Schulman from the Toronto Blue Jays right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays made the playoffs last year. They got a ton of talent. They've added George Springer. Unfortunately, Kirby Yates, we thought was going to be their closer, is going to have Tommy John. But they're going to be competitive. And they're going to play in probably three different ballparks this year. But these guys are tough, and they were used to doing it last season. Dan Schulman, longtime voice on ESPN. You see him doing everything, right? Baseball, basketball, and, of course, for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's one of the top broadcasters in the business. Here's Dan Schulman. Well, he's one of the legendary voices in our game. Dan, it's always great to hear from you. How are you in Toronto? Uh, I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Excited for baseball um, and just uh, plugging away, getting ready for what should be hopefully a fun season. Hopefully everybody plays 162 and maybe the world's a different place by the end of the season than it is right now. How was doing college basketball? Uh, it was different. So I started off down in the U.S., did a few games there. Came home for about a month over the holidays. They had they set up a broadcast from home kit in my house. But then in January, I had to go back down again 
Saturday Prime games that Billis and I do tend to be on site, although some of them didn't work out that way. So uh, I actually kind of lived in Charlotte for two months. ESPN's got a studio there. Figured some of my games would be at Duke or Carolina. So I lived out of a hotel in Charlotte for about eight weeks um, and then wound up in Greensboro doing the ACC tournament and just came back home about 10 days ago. Uh, and I'm quarantining. So li- listen, it was like everything. It was, wow, different, right? But uh, was happy to be working. It was, it had its ups and downs, but I'm glad they got in as many games as they did. And, and you know, the tournament's been really fun. So hopefully it's, uh, it's fun the rest of the way as well. Well, and I just think about your, your year is still going to be difficult because aren't you only going to be doing games from Toronto? Yeah, right now. So uh, the, <laughs> our lovable baseball team north of the border here, we have all kinds of fun challenges that other teams don't have. But, um, yeah, so the Blue Jays are starting at their spring training home in Dunedin, Florida. And we have three announcers, myself, Buck Martinez, Pat Tabler. We kind of rotate around. Sportsnet are our employers, so they're not going to send me to the U.S. Uh, Buckley is down to Florida, driving distance from the ballpark. So without boring you to tears, uh, Buck Teddy will do the home game from the Dunedin ballpark as long as the Jays are there. And I'll do the road games from the studio in Toronto with one of them joining me from their homes. They'll have a kit in their house allowing them to broadcast. So uh, we won't, the games I do, we won't be at the ballpark, and I won't even be in the same place as the same announcer. Now, I, I did a lot of this for college basketball, if we were just talking about whether it was Billis or Vital or whatever. So I'm kind of used to this. Um, but then eventually the team's going to move. They're not going to stay in Florida through the summer. They're hoping to go straight to Toronto, but chances are they might have to go to Buffalo for a couple of months and then hopefully get to Toronto. So this could be a team with three different homes this year. And for us, that means three different situations, really, in terms of how we broadcast games. Well, we were joking last year at one point that uh, the best team in New York was uh, the Blue Jays. And yeah. they, they, you know, they made a lot of strides last year. And I just, I got to think you guys are, you know, I know there's going to be the challenges, but, you know, these young kids don't care. It's like they're, they're ready to come out and, and take people's lunch money. Yeah, they are. And that's exactly the attitude they have. There's good news and bad news. The good news is, uh, they went out and added to their team, George Springer, and as you well know, Marcus Simeon, now uh, members of the Blue Jays. You know, two quality guys, veteran players, good players, uh, obvious needs for the Blue Jays. The bad news is, like the last three, four days, this team has just been hit hard by injuries, really hard. Uh, Kirby Yates, their closer, likely done for the season, looks like he's headed for Tommy John. Springer might not be ready to start the year. He's got an oblique thing going on. Robbie Ray, who looks like their number two starter, unfortunately, on a flight of stairs while carrying his child. Fortunately, his child is okay, but he landed on his elbow. Um, so they're hoping he'll be ready to start the season. And a couple other pitchers are out too, uh, but they're good. And, you know, one thing we have to remember, as you guys well know, is uh, we're eight playoffs last year, and it looks like they're only going back to five this year. So, it's not going to be easy. They'll be competing with Tampa Bay and the Yankees and the White Sox and the Twins and the Astros and the A's. You know, I think there are seven really good teams in the American League, and, and the Blue Jays are one of them, but they'll have to play well to get a playoff spot. You know, we always look forward to spring training, 
But then once spring training starts and these guys start playing and you get some injuries, you're just like, God, I mean, because all you want to do is is keep guys like bubble wrap, keep them healthy, yeah. get ready for the season. And it's just horrible news on Yates. I mean, when I saw that, that he's probably going to need Tommy John surgery, I, mean, I just, just feel so bad for these guys. I know. And the news has come out in the aftermath that, um, you know, he failed a couple of physicals. And so a couple of teams didn't want to give him a higher amount. And I think after the first physical, the Blue Jays said, OK, we're still interested, but not at that amount. So they offered them less. Uh, and it is really unfortunate. But I guess this was kind of a high risk situation going into it. And, and I, I feel badly for pitchers. I mean, it's unbelievable how many pitchers get hurt, whether it's the shoulder or the elbow, whatever. Uh, it, it didn't used to be that way. I mean, I'm old enough to remember guys throwing 260 innings, making 41 starts in a four-man rotation, and just they kept on pitching. And, and I don't know what it is, whether it's the, you know, everybody's just trying to throw as hard as they can, the radar gun rules, or or if it's that, you know, these kids are playing one sport when they're 14, 15, 16, whereas, you know, back in the day, you'd play two or three sports and until you specialized when you were older. I, I, I'm not smart enough to know the answer to it. But I do know this, especially this year, going from 60 games to 162, pitching depth is going to be the absolute most important thing for every team. If you have it, you got a chance. If you don't, you're in a world of hurt. You know, our guy Ray Fossey tells us all the time, he goes, these guys are lucky to get to 200 innings. His guy Gaylord Perry was throwing over 300 innings every yeah. year. Yeah. And guys, again, probably generally speaking, I'm generalizing a bit here, but, you know, didn't throw max effort as much as they do now it was more of a pitch to context like you go back and look at uh jim palmer and tom siever and gaylord perry who you mentioned and uh bert blylevin like some of the great pitchers of the day they were striking out like five or six guys for nine innings and now you know mediocre fourth starters are striking out eight or nine guys uh, per per nine innings. it's just a different game right now they throw harder which is, I think is good and bad. Yeah, and, and the good news is you obviously want to strike out guys if you can, but the bad news is I, I think it's one of the reasons guys get hurt. I think they're pushing themselves beyond where they're supposed to go. How happy are you guys that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is really taken to fitness and really, you know, owning the weight, losing the weight, and looks good? Yeah, looks great. And, and so, again, phys I haven't physically been at spring training, but – uh, watching games on TV, Zoom calls, interviews, and all that. He's lost 40 to 45 pounds from July of last year. He came into camp okay last year in March. He didn't come back good at all in July. He really let it get away. Um, and he struggled. That's kind of why they moved him to first, and he didn't do great at first. And he hit pretty well. Like, if you look at his numbers, OPS Plus, I think, was like 113 last year. Like, he was a slightly above-average offensive player. But he's supposed to be a lot more than that. I, I always make the same goofy analogy. Like, uh, you've got Soto and Acuna and Tatis, and Vladdy's supposed to be the fourth Beatle. He's supposed to be the guy with those guys. And even if he's Ringo Starr, that's pretty good. You can, you can have a pretty nice life being Ringo Starr. And, and he's never going to be the defensive 500. And, and you don't want to get too carried away in March in small samples, 40 at-bats, whatever it is. But, I mean, he's always been a great exit velocity guy, but he hasn't been a great launch angle guy. He's going to be a better player this year. They're going to let him play a little third. He'll play mostly first what he does. But, you know, it, it, 
the Blue Jays going out and getting Springer is great. Getting Simeon is great. Let me tell you, Marcus, you're getting a gym. As my late father yeah. used to say, you can tell he was raised right. Uh, Marcus Simeon is is salt of the earth and definitely is going to make you guys better on the field and in the clubhouse. I think there's no no question about that. I think you're 100. I mean, you know as well better than me. You're, uh, I think you're 100 percent right, and I think George Springer brings a lot of the same characteristics. And I know people look at the cheating scandal, and especially in Oakland, they look at Houston a certain way. And and I understand all that. I'm not diminishing any of that, but I truly believe that George Springer is also one of those guys. But to your point about Simeon, you know, he's a lead by example guy. He's a work ethic guy. He's a take extra ground balls guy. And if you're Bo Bichette or Lourdes Gurriel or Vladimir Guerrero or Danny Jansen or Kevin Biggio, you know, you, you can learn a lot from a guy like Marcus Simeon. Because Marcus Simeon's also a guy who continues to make himself better, right? I mean, he came up and he made all kinds of errors and he worked incredibly hard on his defense and he became a much better defensive player. And then 2019, he has that incredible offensive year. And, you know, remains to be seen, who is he in 2021? Is there any chance he can be the 2019 guy? I think he's certainly better than the 2020 guy. But even if he's halfway in the middle, that's a pretty good player. And obviously on a one-year deal, he is highly motivated to go out and have a really good season. No, not at all. Versatility is now the new name of our game. And let, let, let's end on this. Years ago, oh, when the A's won the division, the Astros were rebuilding. And it was about beating up on the Astros. I mean, just taking it to them every single game and getting fat and happy on the bad teams. Because, I, I, you know, it's the Yankees are going to be tough. Toronto's going to be tough. Rays are always tough. But how do you do against Baltimore? How do you do against the bad teams? How mm -hmm. big is that for who's going to win the AL East? I think it is big, but I would, uh, it, it, I would imagine everybody's got a chance to go, you know, 14 and 5, whatever it is, against Baltimore. From a Blue Jay perspective in particular, the Rays have always been their kryptonite, especially at the Trump. Uh, the Blue Jays find the most unbelievable, painful ways to lose games to the Rays uh, down at the Trump. So um, I hear you about Baltimore, but to me, it almost comes down to Toronto and Tampa Bay. You know, are you going to go 12 and 7 or 7 and 12? You don't get it. You don't get that much of a chance against Oakland and Houston and Chicago and Minnesota. Um, and the American League East is going to be a bear this year. Like the Yankees are still the Yankees, and I know the Rays lost Snell and Morton, but they're still the Rays. They've got a great farm system that's going to help them this year, uh, and they signed four veteran pitchers who I think are, are going to do okay, and we all know how they mix and match and, and figure things out. I, I think that from a Blue Jay perspective, I think the Toronto-Tampa Bay games may decide who goes to the playoffs because even though – Theoretically, you could finish third in, in the division and make the playoffs. Realistically, I think you probably got to finish second because the other two divisions, in my mind, aren't as strong. And it wouldn't shock me at all if two teams came out of the West or two teams came out of the Central. So uh, if you're the Blue Jays, again, only five playoff spots, you got to do, I mean, you, you want to win the division, but you got to do everything you can to finish at least second in the American League East, in my opinion. So you got three or four days left of quarantine? I get out on Sunday. That yes, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I I hope we get to see you guys this year. I I hope at some point we can get back to some type of normalcy because it's just it's not fun not seeing anybody anymore. Yeah, I know it is strange, and and uh, you know to be all alone in a studio or in your house calling a game. Again, we're all lucky to be working, and 
you got to do what you got to do. Uh, I got an interesting opening day, actually. I got the Blue Jays and Yankees at 1 o'clock, and then I'm doing the A's and the Astros at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 Pacific, uh, for ESPN. So I got a, a nice little day-night, two-country, doubleheader thing going on opening day. Oh, I can't. I, 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 we're, we're, being, we're being allowed back in the ballpark. I, I've been telling people I might cry. Oh, you're lucky. You're oh, yeah. lucky. We, we, haven't been, we haven't been to a game since uh, the 2019 wildcard game. Uh, me neither. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't go to any playoff games last year, did them all from a studio. Um, and I don't think I'm crossing the border at all during the regular season. My company's not doing it. So uh, I think the earliest I'll be back in a ballpark and it's a maybe is, uh, in the playoffs this year for ESPN radio, but I, I miss it, man. The sounds and the smells and everything. It's, uh, we're, I know we're getting there, but if we could get there a little bit faster, I wouldn't complain. Well, you're one of the legendary voices in our game, and we always appreciate you stopping by. Be safe up there in Toronto, and hopefully we'll see you in Oakland at some point. All right. I appreciate it. Be well. Doesn't he have that, just that distinct voice? All those years doing Sunday night baseball and seeing him doing college basketball. I mean, you know, when he opens up his mouth, you know exactly who it is. There's a lot of guys I feel like that's happened for uh, more recently, like Dan is definitely one, obviously John Miller and Ken, but when you're looking at like national guys who do multi-sports, like Dan Schulman's definitely at the top of the list for someone like me. Roxy's up there because Roxy's done so many sports and, you know, I've got to know him so much over the years, but I don't disagree with you about Schulman. I mean, I used to love him on Sunday Night Baseball. Not, nothing against Matty V, cause, and I love Matty V. I mean, he's the voice of MLB The Show, one of my favorite video games, so... I've known his voice forever, but Dan Schulman, when he did Sunday Night Baseball, it was great. Remember, we met him at the wild card game in 2019 because he was calling the game for ESPN Radio, so we got a chance to actually yeah. meet him in person. He was, it was, yeah. It's the last time he was in the ballpark. Yeah, and, he, and, and, and it's not like they wanted to replace him for Sunday Night Baseball. He said, I, I got some family priorities. I, 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 I don't want to travel as much. So, But, yeah, he's still doing all kinds of stuff for ESPN. You know, this, 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 you mean, when you talk about the word resilient, that's exactly what the Blue Jays are going to have to be. When you're playing your home games at your spring training facility, I guess it's really nice. But then at some point they may go to Buffalo. So then what, what happens with the Blue Jays AAA team that's supposed to start in a little over a month. And when, when and when is Canada going to lighten up? Canada Canada is no joke. You know, the fact that he was calling games here in the United States, he goes back home to Toronto and you have to quarantine for 14 days. And don't they like really? They like they they're enforcing it right up there. They're like checking on you and making sure that you know you are quarantining. Isn't that isn't that what's going on? That sounds all right from everything I've ever seen on social media. I mean, we wouldn't know. We don't get we can't travel into Canada. So I mean, because every time we talked to Dan, when we talked to him a few months ago, he was kind of telling us the same thing that he had a quarantine before he went home. Remember, he couldn't see his kids and his family, so. I know they've been really strict about it, which you know I completely understand. You want to you know close off your borders when a pandemic's going on. It's a it's a great question of when will the Jays actually be playing at the Rogers Center. Better question is will Marcus Simeon 
ever play a game at the Rogers Center as a Blue Jays player? He may not. Marcus Simeon may never play in a Blue Jay uniform in Canada. Now, where's the science with that? As we now, you know, knock on wood and all the vaccinations going on and slowly but surely certain states have lightened up. You know, I don't know where, you know, I don't know where they're signing. I, you know, I'm still waiting to see all this science everybody talks about. Everybody loves you. Everybody loves to use the word science. Well, show me the science. You know, because I remember when the governor of New Jersey came out and said, there's basically no evidence of COVID being spread in restaurants. I'm like, wait a minute. Our restaurants have been closed. Our one in San Diego and our one in Walnut Creek, we've been closed because of the science. And then the governor of New Jersey says, there's no science to that. I just want everybody to know that your patience is going to be real key here. Because I did see some of our fans. What do you mean we can't tailgate? I haven't been there, but I've heard you're, you're going to get into that parking lot. And there's guys in hazmat suits. They're giving vaccines. This is not like going to an A's or Raiders game and you're pulling out your barbecue and let's sit out here and party all day. That's not how this is going to work. And you just need to understand that and be happy that you can get in the stadium. Be happy that we'll have games on the radio, on television, on A's cast. But you're, you're going to a much different Coliseum than you've ever gone to before. This, is, this isn't people with foam fingers walking off Barton going to the Warriors game like we saw years ago. This is very serious. And they're pumping. How many are they pumping out today? Like 6,000 shots a day, FEMA is, at the Coliseum site? Yeah, that's what they initially wanted to start with, and I think they wanted to ramp it up. So, remember, you got one half of the uh, – you got half of the uh, stadium being taken up for a vaccination site, a fairly run vaccination site. And then the other house can be used essentially for for baseball. So I mean, people. I mean, I'm with you. People need to be patient about patient about that. Tailgating will probably return in some form, probably next year. I know people hate to say that because as someone like me, when I go to games, not as a fan, I like to have a few um, pops, as they say, before you go in. Or- I'm not saying for you not to have food or, or pops in your car. It's just you can't be hanging outside your car with a barbecue. It's just it's just it's that simple. I mean, if you want to bring a sandwich and eat it in your car before the game, go right ahead. Stay in your car. I mean, it's going to be eye-opening. I've been told by a couple people who have gone to the Coliseum, like, wow. You know, this (laughs) this isn't a Raider game. This isn't an A's game. Yeah, hazmat suits. I mean, this is serious. This is FEMA. On that note, why don't you do a ticket read, Cody? Yeah, so the Oakland A's are ready to welcome fans back to the Oakland Coliseum in cooperation with Alameda County and Major League Baseball. The A's will open with fans on April 1st. Single-game tickets are on sale now. A number of policies and protocols will be in place for the safety of everyone as the A's look forward to welcoming back fans of the green and gold for the 2021 season. So tickets on sale now. I believe the 
the website and the vanity link is athletics.com slash tickets. I'll just type it in right now just to double check because the read I have doesn't have that, but I'm just going to check anyway. And let's see, athletics.com slash tickets. And, yeah, there it is. You can buy tickets for single games today, athletics.com slash tickets. So, well, we got a game. We got four against Houston, three against the Dodgers. Then you go on the road to play Houston. There was an article at MLB.com uh, yesterday. They're ranking the toughest April schedules in, uh, in Major League Baseball and the easiest. Who do you think has the – there's two teams in the AL that have easy schedules. Who do you think they are? Who has the what? There are two teams in the AL that have really easy schedules to start the season in April. Can you guess who they are? No. I, I don't. It'd be the Houston Astros, who have uh, a, their opponent's winning percentage is the second easiest, and then the Yankees, and then the teams that are hurt by their April schedule, Angels, Rays, Blue Jays, and your Oakland Athletics. So the schedule makers did no favors to the A's for the April schedule or the Astros and Yankees get the easiest, you know, some of the easiest schedules to start the, mu- the month of uh, the baseball season. But that's based off 2020. Yeah. So, and how we value, and like we, we've been saying, how do you evaluate? I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I just, I can't in any way look at those 60 games and think those 60 games are going to, let us into what's going to happen in a full season again. You could trick it up for 60 games like the Marlins. You can't trick it up in 162. In 162, every, put it this way, everybody has warts. There's no – there's probably the only – I mean, the last, like, perfect team where you go, that team was was probably the 98 Yankees. They were a steamroller. But every team has some warts. The Dodgers bullpen is a wart, and they won the World Series. I mean, so in 162 games, those warts get exposed. And as Stephen Piscotty said, you know, if you got into a little bit of a rut, you didn't have time really to work yourself out of it. That 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 2020s behind us. 2021 will back to be being a regular type of season. The grind will be on. The dog days of summer will be on. But there's still going to be, as Steven said, some similarities. You know, there's going to be a lot of testing. You know, you know, you're still kind of – they want you to still kind of be like you're in a bubble. Go to the ballpark. Go home. But I'm just excited that it's here. As of tomorrow, we're going to have a week before we're back in the stadium, Cody. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. What time are we going to be on? What are we going to be on from? Uh, opening day, because the game's at 7.07, so we'll be on from, I think it's from 4 to about about 6, because pregame will start at 6.07 for a 7.07. But, uh, isn't, though, the regular, once we start getting to the season, all the games are like 6.45? Yeah, 6.40 for us, 6.45 for the Giants. Uh, so Friday night game, Friday night's game will be a 5.40 start, so we'll be on from 5 to about 4 to about 5.30. So I mean we're 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 going to be a week away tomorrow and I can't wait and as I'm seeing teams you know pull out some of their their, their cuts from the rosters they're making uh that's what I'm kind of staring at on Twitter Luis Ranjifo uh getting sent to the uh, minors for the Angels a little a little shocking cuz he's a pretty good utility player for them but he's going down to the minors and Franklin Barreto was trying to make their roster and um well guess what happened to Franklin Barreto uh, he got hurt so and he was actually having a really good spring 
Tell me if you heard that before, that Franklin Brad was having a good spring. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. I am so glad I don't have to do that anymore. And then if we haven't got to it because, you know, we got on after the three-hour and 17-minute long uh, spring training game that Austin Allen was sent to Las, AAA Las Vegas. So that opens up a potential spot for Armas Garcia, the player acquired in the Chris Davis-Elvis Andrews trade to be the backup catcher to start the year. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow up until, you know, next week. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be a jerk with Franklin Barreto, but I'm just, I'm just very, because it, it's at some point the kid's got to produce. He hasn't been, I mean, he's not a, uh, he, I, I, his age looks like he's a kid, but this guy's been playing pro ball since what he was, how old was he? I think 16, 16 I think, I think 16. Yeah, I mean, he's been around this for, I mean, at some point, he's got to, you know, some point he's got to produce. All right, coming up next, our buddy Paul Himbakides, the top researcher and really becoming a media star on the show Get Up on ESPN, that's their morning show, and then with his buddy Greeny, them doing a radio show together. They call him, and of course, every single week, he's on Buster Only show. He does all the he, he finds all the great stats for the Sunday night broadcast. The great Himbo joins us next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Here's our conversation earlier today with our buddy Himbo. Himbo, how are you? Baseball season right around the corner. My friend, the last time we spoke, I looked out my window and I saw, I think it was blizzarding that day here in uh, northern New Jersey. Right now, it's raining, which means it's over 32 degrees. Uh, I'm getting some tree work done. We had some, we had a patio put in the backyard. Like spring has sprung even in New Jersey. And, and, and in a week, you get to watch real baseball. I could not be more excited, bro. Well, you got to get that patio ready with the Traeger. Yeah. No, I got to, I got to, I got to build like a, like a shrine of sorts, right? Like I got to, I got to figure out my station. I'm sort of working through some of the kinks here with my new space, but I'm confident by the time we get to summer, I will be, I'll be, I mean, I'm not going to be at your, at your level. I mean, you're just such an aficionado, but we will get there. That I can assure you. I, I cannot wait to see it. Um, <laughs> wh- wh- why do we need to baby you hitters? But ex- expand on that thought. Yeah. You get to use batting gloves. You get to use pine tar. You get to use, Arm guards, elbow guards, guards for your ankles, guards for your feet. But, oh, my God, if a pitcher puts something on the baseball, now we got to actually use stat cast to try and punish. <laughs> I mean, seriously, how much more do you got? You got a juice ball. You got juice ball barks. Probably half your players are juiced anyway. Like, how much more <laughs> do you need? Well, I mean, if you look at the astronomical strikeout rates, maybe maybe Major League Baseball needs to do even more. Like, I, I understand what you're saying. I think it's a fair point to make. And I also don't think that we need stat cast. Like, these guys are do, are doing this stuff like in plain sight. I don't I don't need I don't need Hawkeye you know software to figure that out for me. But that that being said, like, I'm very skeptical that they can actually pull this off because as we've seen from the pace of play initiative. If you're not willing to enforce this from on high, the players have no interest in doing so. The umpires have no interest in doing so. And the managers have this sort of unwritten rule where, like, 
I'm not going to challenge anything if you don't, right? In a, in a sort of a, a handshake agreement. So in order for this to actually work and, and pitchers not use these kinds of substances, which I think parenthetically will lead to a lot more hit batsmen and some more ugliness, which I think is an unintended consequence, it's going to have to be mandated by the commissioner's office. And I, I'll, I guess I'll have to see it to believe it. Um, so you're going to tell me if I use sunscreen, bullfrog sunscreen, because I'm trying to protect myself from skin cancer and it has to be <laughs> on my fingers, you're going to come after me? Uh, the enforcement of it is going to be fascinating. I mean, my, my hope is that what Major League Baseball is trying to do is just get rid of the optics of, like, you know, Michael Pineda going out there with a glob on his neck, right? Like, that's obviously like that's, that's obviously what you don't want. I think what they're just trying to do also, though, is, is, is reduce any advantage that the pitchers have right now. It's very clear, like, ever since Theo stepped into that role, like, many of these – minor league initiatives and such are being are, are being put in place so that we can curb some of this stuff, right? And who knows, maybe if you get maybe if one out of every one hundred plate appearances turns into a more another ball in play because, you know, pitchers don't feel as good about, you know, this, that or the other. Like I don't I don't live in this world, so I'd have to talk to pitchers like you do to be able to get a better sense of it. But again, I'm not confident that it's actually going to make that much of a difference unless Major League Baseball is willing to enforce it with a hammer, which they've not been able to been willing to do with anything else. Home runs have gone up every year for like the twelve for like twelve straight years. Right. How about choke up and put the ball in play? So I don't. Think, I don't think the problem is the pitchers. I think the problem is the hitters, as everybody's swinging out of their you know what, yeah. and they're trying to lift the ball. Instead of, you know, because, you know, one thing during the pandemic, you know, when we were watching these old baseball games, I remember it was like 1978. It's Yankees, Red Sox. Even Reggie Jackson, who struck out more than anybody, he choked up with two strikes. <laughs> yeah, like 2,500 strikeouts. Here's, here's my counterpoint to that. The reason that everyone's swinging out of there, you know what, is because it's because the pitching's gotten so good that it's so hard to string three hits together. Like, I, I think even if hitters made a concerted effort to try – it would take a sort of retraining and muscle memory that doesn't exist anymore. Like this is the kind of thing that we need to start, you know, at the high school level to make its way through the showcase circuit and college ball and minor league ball. Like sometimes baseball is a byproduct of what you're getting from the systems beneath it, right? So I, I think like as much as much as it's infiltrating down, you know, the home run derby, let's blow cheese, you know, at the gun, you know, every D three pitcher now throws ninety miles an hour. I think just as much of that is, you know, is sort of the, the showcase circuit making its way to baseball. So I think it does. I think it does work both ways. I, I'm with you though. Like the home run strikeout craze has to be, like it has to be reduced. Like in order for baseball to be at its best, it has to be that has to be curbed some. And look, even though like I think it's going to be kind of ugly in getting there, if we are able to, it will be a massive win for Major League Baseball because right now, like the batted ball really is baseball's fuel. Like there, it's it, it is. That's what it is right now, and there just isn't that much going into the engine on a daily basis, on a game-by-game game game basis, I mean. That's a fundamentally bad thing for the sport. I think it's reflected across the board. The games are longer. They're much less interesting than they were even when I was a kid. Like, this is not like you're bringing up games, you know, played 50 years ago. Like, I watched games 10 years ago that weren't like this, and I do think that Major League Baseball has let itself lose a little bit there. Like, if you look at other sports, right, if you look at other sports, like the NFL, for example, like, how long ago was it where, like, football's in peril like there's gonna be no nfl in 10 years because of all the head injury stuff right like we don't talk about any of that stuff anymore because they figure their they figure their you know what out right it's just this is baseball's time to figure their you know what out and i'm all good if it ruffles ruffles some some, uh, some feathers along the way you know doug glanville told us and he was a super bright guy love uh, yeah i mean the fact that he's a professor at uconn i mean how many players <laughs> i mean i can't i can't spell uconn so <laughs> i mean <laughs> so he, he, he told us on monday that they had Joe Madden on their podcast. And Joe Madden said the problem is everybody is built the same. 
Everybody has the same data, the analytics. Everybody's looking for the same type of player. And every team, it's like everybody, it's like it's like NASCAR. Everybody's got the same car. Right. That's actually a really good analogy. And that's what makes certain players and certain teams that exploit inefficiencies, obviously, the kinds of teams that, you know, can succeed. But in recent seasons, like using the Rays as the example, like the Rays are the prototype for why this is, <laughs> why this works, but why it shouldn't work, right? Like a team like that shouldn't be able to find the guys good enough to reach the World Series, but they've been able to. And Joe's point is a really, really good one. If we're not willing to ex- like sort of expand the, 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 the breadth of what we're willing to accept as a major league player, like sort of in the NBA now, like if you can't chuck threes and you can't, you know, if you're not a three and D guy, you have no place in the league, right? Like these, these back to the basket centers are dinosaurs. Like Andre Drummond would have been a hall of famer if he was born 20 years ago. Can't keep a job down now, right? Like it's this, they, they have a similar problem. I'm with you. I think baseball would benefit a lot from athletes of, 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 a, of a variety of backgrounds to be able to thrive not doing the exact same thing. You know, we're generating a variety of slash lines and different pitch mixes and all sorts of different stuff. Like base running needs to become valuable again, right? The, the ability to pitch in the seventh and eighth innings as a starter needs to become valuable again. But in order to, you, then the incentive structure just needs to change. Like right now the math says this works, so do it. And right now until something after the equal sign change and teams aren't gonna be motivated to do so. You know, Harold Reynolds was also on the show on Monday and made a great point because we were talking about Bo Jackson. And he was <laughs> like, if Bo Jackson played today where, you know, because the big knock on him back in the day was he struck out. Well, now that no one cares about stri- strikeouts, right. Bo Jackson would be perfect in today's baseball. There's all sorts of historical figures for whom you could probably say that about. Like when you go back and look at certain guys that we revered at the time and considered immortals, like their slash lines look kind of like like Rod Carew and Tony Gwynn, for example, were legendary players who now, like in, in historical terms, look much less favorable than we may have thought at the time. That isn't their fault. That's how they were being evaluated then. I wouldn't be surprised if we look back on like the last 10 years of baseball and say, why did we do that? Like, why did we allow ourselves to go down so far down that, that, that rabbit trail? And I hope that game six of the World Series last year, when Blake Snell was inexplicably pulled, sort of serves as that like precipice. Like that was hopefully the straw that broke the camel's back. And in some sense, Theo Epstein going to the, to the commissioner's office to sort of lead this initiative is sort of his way of trying to slay the dragon that he birthed himself, right? It sort of comes full circle here. And we all consider him like the young guy, the guy who sort of helped like bring this to the forefront, like your own Billy Bean, whereas, you know, Theo Epstein's now going to be in the commissioner's office trying to combat the very thing that he was exploiting just a year ago. Obviously, you're a brilliant man. And last year, <laughs> you picked the A's to win the West. And you were... Correct, my friend. Uh, prediction time. Who you like in 2021? All right, you want me to go division by division? You, I did all my picks for ESPN.com last week. But like, Just tell me what you want, and I'll have it ready for you. All right, AL West. The AL West will be won by the Astros this season. <gasps> what? So this is why you don't start in the AL West. Okay, so here, here's where I'm coming from here. I do have the A's making the playoffs. They're one of my two wildcard teams. The all A's, right. I think, are a very comparable roster to the Astros. Here's where I'm coming from there. I think Houston has a, a substantially higher ceiling, whereas the A's have a considerably higher floor, which is to say, I think if, if both teams reach their, say, 75th percentile, the Astros are three or four games better. And the biggest reason for that is Jordan Alvarez. I think we've forgotten how good that guy is, how good that guy was. Like, to me, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he hit 40 this year. He can be that kind of difference maker in that lineup. I'm a little bit concerned, maybe a little bit more than a little bit concerned, that Marcus Semyon and Liam Hendricks were pretty substantial parts of, of, of those teams the last few years that have been so good. 
and especially Hendricks. Like, I know you guys have done a brilliant job historically of building bullpens on the cheap for the most part and be able to get the most out of guys on the back end. But he has been so incredibly good in high leverage situation. His win probability is off the charts for a pitcher with as little volume as, as he provided. It's very difficult for me to see a scenario in which you guys could be as good in the eighth and ninth innings this year as you were last. If so, I tip my cap to you and you're going to win the division by three or four games. That's my biggest hang up. Can I, uh, counselor, have my rebuttal? By all means. This is the first time these guys are going to be called cheaters for 81 games. They're going to get heckled every single game. And if we go back to last year's spring training, before we stopped because of COVID, there were reports that these guys were done. These guys were so tired of hearing it, talking about it. Now they're finally going to have to face the music. And I just don't think every single night you go out and someone's calling you a cheater, that's got to wear on you mentally. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a, it's beyond reasonable point. I live in the world of stats and information. It's difficult for me to quantify that into my projection. Here's what I would say. Jose Altuve had an all-time bad year for him. Yuli Gurriel had an all-time bad year for him. So did Alex Bregman to some extent, right? Carlos Correa missed a bunch of time. Was it, like That was a club that regressed considerably last year, fought through all this stuff, was four games under 500, and still somehow managed to be just one game away from the World Series. They're a difficult projection. They really are. I, what I just keep coming back to is like, that not like the, all the heckling stuff and the trash can banging stuff notwithstanding, which I, again is so difficult to quantify. In fact, a team like that, like you could you could argue that it will further motivate the team. Like I think you could easily make the argument. I don't buy it myself. I think you could. I just see a, a, a pretty tight race between the two you two teams. I don't see the, uh, the Angels being that good at all. I, I I argued with Buster this morning on his podcast. Buster's buying the Angels hype. I don't see it. I just like you need tw- you need you need fifteen pitchers to be able to make the playoffs and, and they have half that many. So I see, I see that the ALS is a two horse race ultimately won by the Astros because I think their deficiencies are a little bit less so than the A's unless the A's can really do some damage at the trade deadline this year. By mid season, you and Cody both could be pitching for the angels. All right, let's go to the Correct. Central. AL central. I like the white Sox like everybody else. That might be the most talented club in the American league. Adding Hendricks add, like I'm serious, adding Hendricks plus Lynn. Like that's, that's a, like, I don't know that any team added as, as much quality pitching as they did. And all those kids in the lineup, all it takes is for two of those guys to have career years and they could win 95. AL East. The Yankees are going to win the American League East. I mean, there are only two great teams in the American League, and they're among them. If the Yankees can get some semblance of healthy, a healthy season out of Judge and Stanton, it's hard for me to see them not averaging, you know, five and a half runs a game. And I think Tyone uh, plus Kluber actually represents a pretty decent, like, upside play there. The Yankees are a really, really good club this year, too. I think those are going to be the, the, the teams going. I think, I think they're probably on a collision course. Did you say uh, Giancarlo and Judge staying healthy for the season? Look, I mean, uh, yeah, look. I'll take the under. You know me. I, East Coast <laughs> Bias Hembo is my nickname on, in San Diego Twitter now. That is, that is the lane <laughs> that I occupy. I picked Aaron Judge to win my American League uh, MVP. I picked Garrett Cole to win the Cy Young Award. I am sipping the Yankee Kool-Aid. You know, like that's that's the lane I occupy now. I mean, I do a freaking radio show in Brooklyn, right? like look overlooking Brooklyn. Like, what am I gonna? Who, who am I gonna do? Am I gonna? Am I gonna? Am I gonna pick Kenta Maeda? Like, come on. <laughs> hey, we, had, we we when we we had Dave O'Brien, TV guy for the uh, for yeah. the Red Sox, and I'm right. like, what's going on? I mean, you guys are like the Boston Rays. I mean, how are you charging that kind of money? I mean, they're charging 700 bucks to sit in the bleachers on opening day and you're rebuilding. I'm yeah. like, what are you doing? Dude, it pays to, 
it pays to, to, to be a legacy franchise playing in Fenway Park. There are just some built-in advantages that, that nobody else can, 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 can sniff. So the, the, the fifth team I would have in the American League, just, just to interrupt you for a moment, is, is, is actually Toronto. I think Toronto is a team on, on the come, much like your club. I think Toronto – and the, I think if, if, if we don't change the format here, I think, I think, I think Toronto is going to be playing a play-in game, that wild-card game in Oakland in October. Let's go to your beloved National League East. The Braves, the best team in the National League East. The additions of Morton and 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 what and and getting uh, Soroka back, I think, is is massive for them. They were, you know, they had three shots at the World Series last year, right? You bring and, and I also I'm all in on Christian Pache playing center field for them. I think there is going to be as good as last year, if not if not some better, because that like that pitching staff last year, the start the group of starters was heinous. I I think that'll be a much better group. He also added Drew Smiley. I like the Braves in the East. What about your Fightins? The Fightins, I have, I have the Phillies finishing third behind the behind the Mets. The Phillies, like, so much has to go right. It's also the best division in baseball. The Phillies could win the Central, either Central. I mean, uh, I mean, they, they're that kind of good. I think the Phillies are that kind of good. But the schedule's going to be just so brutal, man. And, like, I, again, me and Cody might be pitching in the Phillies bullpen by August. So uh, do we just say Cardinals in the National League Central and move on? Not so fast. Not so fast, my friend. I have Milwaukee winning the National League Central outright. But they're not going to be able to use 8,000 pitchers in September. You heard it here first. Here's my logic for the Brewers. Okay. Underrated signings of Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley, both guys that will improve their defense considerably, a major issue for them last year. The two of them, if you just look at the war they're likely to generate, I think will probably come close to Nolan Arenado by himself. So I think that might almost cancel itself out. They also have more top-flight pitching than any team in that division. I mean, Corbin Burns plus Brandon Woodruff is a nice way to start your rotation. A lot of swing and miss there. And Josh Hader and Devin Williams are completely vile. Like, those guys are awesome. They have better – like, they have more great players than any team in that division. I think I think the Cardinals are getting a tad bit overhyped just because of that one move. And, look, he could make that much of a difference by himself. He's also coming off of a terrible year. I really think the Brewers are being slept on. Uh, Yelich finally better than Trout? Yelich is the best player in baseball, but Yelich might be the best p- player of all time. I mean, like, who, 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 who are we kidding here? If, if Yelich has a better year than Trout, I'm, I'm, I'm giving his freaking MVP speech. I mean, I, I'm, I am, I am a part of the process. I'm going to be, I'm going to be on, on stage uh, with my master in that ceremony. No doubt. Ruth, Bonds, Williams, Mays. No, no, no. There's Move no, there, to the side. Correct. Yeah. I mean, at minimum, he's, he, 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 he takes up two different places on Mount Rushmore. Two heads, two yellow heads on Mount Rushmore. Uh, the National League West, it's it's a two-horse race, and it's going to be a lot of fun because they now really, they don't like each other, the Padres and the Dodgers. Yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, because when, you, when you're about to brawl during the postseason, that's when the real rivalries start. Correct. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, hung, a lot of hungover uh, from that. I, I, I think this is kind of cut and dry. I think the Dodgers are going to win the division by so much that the Padres are going to be closer to finishing third than they are to finishing first. I think I think the Dodgers are that kind of good, like we're like a hundred and fifteen kind of win team. I really think they're a juggernaut. We'll we'll see if they actually try to get there. And look, San Diego was terrific last year. They had the second best run differential in the sport. Just consider me a tad bit skeptical. Like they put together an awesome roster, and and AJ Preller deserves enormous credit for doing so. I think the pitching moves he's made actually are probably the ones that are going to are going to work out the best for him. I mean, they're going to score a lot of runs, as we know. But I'm just not sold on that team being anywhere close to the Dodgers over the course of a 162-game season. Call me crazy. Who's your World Series? 
I got the Braves and the Yankees in the World Series. I, 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 yeah. So here's my thing. Like, I, the Braves are a tough team to, to, to peg, and they don't get a lot of national attention. I'm just, I know they're going to score a ton of runs. They did last year, and they have pretty much that same lineup back, right? Last season, they had they, they were they were super close to the World Series, having gotten the worst starting pitching by any team in the history of the postseason. Any team that made the postseason ever, they had the worst collection of starting pitchers by ERA. You had Anderson for a full season. You have Freed, who's been awesome. Morton's going to make a big difference for them. Mike Soroka was an unbelievable rookie. It's easy to forget. That's a that's just an organization that I trust, generally speaking. Sort of a pipe dream, I guess, because the Dodgers are clearly the favorite. But I think in a postseason series, obviously, anything's anything's possible. And I like the Braves to, uh, to, to beat them. And I'll go with the Braves over the Yankees just to be different. I don't know when's the last time we could say this, but mm. it seems like the National League right now is deeper than the American League. By a considerable margin. I would say that on paper, this is just my like anecdotal observation, I think five of the seven best teams in baseball are in the National League. Like, I think that the Mets, who I have pegged as finishing second in, in their division, would have a reasonable chance to win all three of the American League divisions. I think they're that kind of good. Like, that's a really, really good team. I, I, I just – I also I – I don't have these numbers off the top of my head. But I look back at interleague head-to-heads, and it was recently where it flipped, where the National League began winning more, and by a lot. Like, it became such a thing where it really surprised me how much the balance of power has shifted without me quite even – like, really even noticing. I think it's going to be even more exacerbated this year when you consider the number of great players that have changed. I, I, in, my, in my research, I found that more more free agent dollars were committed in the American League. But if you look at the, 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 the biggest the, – you know, the heavyest hitters that were, that were moved this offseason, like, those guys are playing for National League clubs. I think we'll kind of see that in the standings. You guys did the piece on DeGrom and velocity going up as he gets older, which is not normal. Um, you got – what do you got on DeGrom? So I am – I'm all in like – I'm sitting on the table and I'm saying Jacob DeGrom is not only going to win the National League Cy Young this year, he's going to win the MVP of the league. I think he's going to be the best player in the National League regardless of position. Here's where I'm coming from. So first of all, like – Obviously, he's an aging pitcher, right? He's going to pitch <clears throat> this year at 33. But he's not really a 33-year-old pitcher. Like, he has thrown fewer innings in his career than Babe Ruth did, right? So this is a, this is a pitcher with, like, like the wear and tear. Like, th- that argument doesn't, doesn't hold up here. It doesn't hold water as we know. We obviously know he's a super um, athletic pitcher who's able to repeat his delivery and his release point in a way that very few guys do, and the numbers support that as well. And, like, he's legit sitting 99 with three pitches, commanding it. We have never seen that before. Like, and nobody that can throw like he can throw have been able to command multiple pitches. And he's, I mean, he's dotting it, dude. Like, it's like if you watch him pitch in spring training, I've never seen anyone as good as him. He just had the best, from a run prevention standpoint, he just had the best three year stretch of any pitcher ever from the ages of 30 through 32. And I did a, a dive this deep dive this morning. And what my research turned up was that on a per inning basis using war, he produces more value than any starter in the history of baseball. Average is like six and a half war per uh, per two hundred innings. Pedro Martinez is a second on that list behind Jacob Degrom. We're talking about like a a, a guy who is sort of on, like in, in in the midst of like an all time great stretch, a legendary stretch. And look, he might regress some, and you could probably like if you're a statistical person who follows the trends and stuff, you'd probably say that's more likely because he's been so freaking good. I'm going the other way. I think Jacob Degrom's sitting in the middle of his prime right now, and it's going to have his best season in 2021. 
So it's Yankees, it's Braves, it's DeGrom win the NBA. Should teams in the Central and Pacific time zone even play this year? No. We all um, just focus on the East Coast? I don't think so. This should be like an EPL situation where you all get relegated just because I can't watch you play. I go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. I wake up at 4, 4 o'clock to do my 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 my, uh, my elitist show on the East Coast, right? So if I don't have the opportunity – like honestly, the East Coast team should play from 7 to 8. They should be done, and nobody else can play. So I'll just get to watch those hour, uh, those hour of games. I mean, look, Fernando Tatis might as well retire, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, are 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 you back in studio yet? I'm going in like four days a week now. How's that feel? Uh, it feels great. I, I got the uh, we got the TV show from eight to ten now on the East Coast, and I'm helping out Greedy on his radio show. Um, hashtag Greedy. You might know me as Hashtag Kembo on the show. Uh, I I'm on with him from ten to twelve, and we just kick it around. So we're I'm having a really good time with it. It's nice to. It's nice to feel like somewhat normal again, you know, sitting there without a mask on and talking sports. It's, it's, it's what I've always wanted to do, and <laughs> I'm getting to do it now, and the circumstances are improving over here. Cody and I, opening day, will be the first time we've been to a game since the 2019 wildcard game against the Rays. Wow. That crazy? It's going to smell so good in there. Like, it's like everything. Like, you're going to get such, you're going to get, you're going to get tingles, man. When, when, the, when that national anthem is played and, and, you, and, like you, and you get that waft of cigar coming up, like, you are... You're gonna I weep. might cry. I mean, I, I just, I seriously, I want to get out of my house so bad. <laughs> like my wife's like, you're going back. I'm like, yeah, I got to get away from you. <laughs> no, my wife is utterly sick of me too. I'm surprised that we're still together, but I, I'm with you. Like it's, is she, is she back too? No, she's, she's stuck at home. So she's got the cabin fever. So, but like oh, I'm telling yeah. you, like, that's what makes baseball special. Like, like the, the, the in-game experience, the in-person experience at a baseball game is, is a singular experience. It's second to none in sports. Like when, 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 when everything else opens up, like that's like the, the thing I am most looking forward to is spending $6 for a hot dog and $9 for a lukewarm beer. Like that is, that is the thing. Like I'm going to sit, it's, I'm telling you, man, like there is nothing like it and I'm never going to take it for granted again. I know. And, 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 and you know, and let's end on this because I think this has been real special is how much the players are acknowledging the fans and how much they miss the fans. I don't think I don't think players will big league fans ever again. I'd love to I'd love to think uh, think and hope that you're right. That's like the fans are the lifeblood of the sport. The only thing that matters. It's easy to forget. Like we do all this stuff about we're talking about all this math and all these numbers that affect the you know the product on the field. None of it matters. It's, baseball is an entertainment product. You're entertaining the people that are watching on TV and that are watching in the stands. Let's let, let me, let's never forget what matters here, right? Like that's the only thing that matters here. So let's get it right and let's never take this for granted again because it's the most beautiful game that we have. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to be in that ballpark again. You, I want. I want to. You better tweet or, or send me a picture when you when you're in there with Cody I, you, during the anthem. You're gonna be sitting there and you have a you know tear running down your down your down your cheek like you're about to start like, start a quarterback in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Be be safe. Be warm. Can't wait till you can get that Traeger fired up going again. Later, boys. That's my guy, Himbo. I got them all fired up on Traegers, Cody. Yeah, unfortunately, I've been wanting to get one because I love the barbecue that I have at home. But the new apartment, we can't even have that anymore, so I have to get rid of it. So I have to you, wait. You can't have a barbecue on the deck? No, it's one of those things with the, I guess, with the. What, what, kind, of, what, what, kind, of, what kind of barbecue is it? Uh, that's a great question now. Um, I don't know. It was cheap. It wasn't very expensive. It got the job is done, it, though, for. Is it propane or charcoal? It was propane. So that's why we couldn't have it. Yeah, because once San Jose State football comes back, 
and we're able to tailgate because I had to give up my season tickets when I went to work for the Raiders because I could never use the tickets. So we're all getting, as we're now, as you know, a football school. Um, we're uh, we're all getting back into the game and getting season tickets. So I'm going to need a new hibachi coming up here soon. Well, see, we were thinking about keeping it and maybe just storing it in the uh, in the. We have like a shed, or not a shed, but like a. You can't see it because the sun's hitting you in the uh, where the where it is. But there's a door on our balcony that you can get into. Uh, you can store. We were thinking about storing it in there to keep, like, if we go to the beach and stuff. But, like, you're not even supposed to have it, like, on-premise. Like, that's, like, one of the things with this new complex. I don't want to be that guy that just moved in and is already starting to revolt with a barking dog and a barbecue on, 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 uh, pr- oh on premise. Oh, my God. Your dog has been going nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad Dina's home now, so Leia's sleeping. So that's why I've been able to do the show with no hiccups with her barking or crying or trying to jump on my lap. It's been, uh, been pretty successful so far today, although there's 30 minutes left, so knock on wood. All right, if you hear anything, um, I'm actually – it's pretty amazing that I'm scheduling a car service for Stevens Creek Lexus with a woman who's just chatting with me. I was wondering what that clicking <laughs> – that beeping sound was that kept going coming through. <laughs> Whenever she sends back, what is the year, make, and model of your vehicle? That's it's funny. I, I didn't realize you could do this. I mean, we're getting to a point – no one calls each other anymore. Yeah, it's, that's true. I uh, it's weird because like I've had my car since October and I haven't had to take it in for anything because well I don't I don't drive it anywhere. Now that we're going to be going back to the ballpark, I'm gonna have to get an oil change once this year. Once one oil change in an entire year. I bought this car. Not that anybody cares, but I bought this car to basically drive it into the ground because that's what I did with my last car. I got close to 300,000 miles with my last infinity. And now a mechanic buddy of mine says, oh, you can drive a Lexus forever. Well, that was the plan. Well, I haven't gone anywhere. I don't think going to Costco or a go- or the golf course has really been. I mean, the furthest I've driven with this car is down to Pebble Beach. Dude, I haven't been to. I haven't been to Oakland or San Francisco. I mean, you think with the talk show at 95-7 the game or so when the baseball season was over, I always had to go into San Francisco. But during baseball season, I'm always in Oakland. And then, of course, Raider games or Warrior games. I haven't been to San Francisco or Oakland in over a year. That's crazy. When I used to spend well over 100 days a year at that complex, whether I was at the Oakland Coliseum or formerly known as Oracle Arena. I see she responded. <laughs> the, the, uh, sorry about that. I can't. I can't. How, no, do, how do I turn it off? It, you're going to have to go through your settings. Don't worry about it. The, the best part is if this was like an, if this was a normal radio, we'd be getting scolded at by. A, what our, is that noise? It's going over the air. Hey, you want to just go to Dalton Jeffries now? Yeah, that works. What you know? Thing about Dalton Jeffries, as as you think about Bay Area, he was gonna go to Stanford, and then ends up going to Cal. If you know anything about that rivalry, especially in baseball, I bet no one forgot that. 
You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And, and I bet the Stanford players knew, oh, yeah, you were going to come here, but then you chose the enemy? Oh, I bet that would have been – that would have been fun to watch back in the day. But he's got good stuff, and he could be a, a future piece of the starting rotation for your Oakland Athletics. Here is Dalton Jeffries. Dalton, it's great to have you back on the program. How have you been? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, spring is just so interesting, you know, especially for someone like yourself where you're trying to, you know, put the impression on the coaching staff and the front office to say, I'm ready to pitch in the big leagues. Right. I mean, I think the big thing coming into spring training was just to be as consistent as possible and go out there and try to be the same guy every time I pitch and uh, make it known that, uh, you know, that's that's where you're gonna get when you you know put me on the mound. So that's just that was the big thing. Just how different has this off season and this spring been because of COVID nineteen? Um, it hasn't really been super different. I mean, we got a little taste of it back in uh, 2020, and um, you know, it had its it had its ups and downs with you know travel and everything like that. But I mean, it was it was good. We were able to. I stayed in Arizona. Uh, off-season workout went well, and then uh, came into spring training. We got our 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 uh, leash loosened a little bit as far as far as protocols. So everything's been really smooth now that we you know had that trial run in 2020. You know, you you think about this ball club and where they are heading into this season. Just talk about the confidence that you've seen with this group inside the clubhouse getting ready for this season. Oh, I mean, it's been it's been uh, electric to say. Uh, for lack of a better word, um, you know, we got Chappie back and uh, we lost a few guys in the bullpen, but we were able to get, uh, you know, those guys back. And, um, you know, all the guys have acclimated really well. We have a really great clubhouse where it's really easy to come in and, you know, make a statement and make friends. And um, everyone's very approachable. So we're all very excited. We got a little taste of what we wanted last year. And, you know, we came up short, but uh, this year um, it's going to be an exciting year. You know, I, I I think about you guys getting to see fans for the first time in a long time. When you got on that mound the first time, what was the adrenaline like going through your body now that there's fans back in the ballpark? Well, I, I think we, we really underestimated how much we missed fans. Uh, even, you know, fans talking smack to you or anything like that. Um, we, we missed that and we missed the, the camaraderie of that, so... Uh, you know, when you get on the mound, you don't really focus on fans. But I mean, when you when you walk off the mound, um, them cheering or making any type of noise that isn't basically coming from a speaker, that's uh, that's huge for our confidence. Yeah, I, I I mean, how do you get adrenaline at at the alternate side? <laughs> last year at the alternate side, I mean, you're playing against fellow A's. You're playing at San Jose Muni. I, I mean, how would you get adrenaline doing that? Uh, I mean, it, it got pretty stagnant at times, but I think the coaching staff and we as players did a really great job of keeping it loose. And we tried to announce games and do walk-up songs and all that stuff. So we, we did a great job of trying to find some kind of, you know, adrenaline to make it game-like. And from what we hear, you know, under Fran Reardon and all the other coaches, that it was obviously very competitive. What did you, what did you improve on? What did you gain while being at the alternate side? Uh, I think I just gained a lot of confidence. It was really nice to be able to face the same guys, even though maybe it did get, you know, a little stagnant at times, but to be able to face the same guys and get feedback every time, whereas, you know, you're facing a different team and they're obviously not giving you feedback, right, because they're the opposite team. And uh, I think that's that was the biggest takeaway that, that I had from the alternate site. 
you know, Chris Bassett actually talked about that, you know, pitching, you know, on the backfields where whether it's good or bad news, you're getting the feedback from hitters. And that's just something that we really have never really talked about. But what is that like when you can say to a hitter, hey, how is this breaking ball? How's my fastball? What what What, what is that conversation like? Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, facing guys like Elvis Andrews and, you know, he, he, even he gave me some pointers on, you know, my changeup and, um, you know, not showing it too early. So I, I really appreciated that, um, especially coming from a veteran guy like him. But no, I mean, it's, it's great for your confidence. It really allows, to, allows you to uh, work on your craft rather than just going up there and throwing pitches and not having any feedback. When you were growing up in the Valley, who was your favorite team? Uh, I, I went to more Giants games. I'll say, um, but when I was at Cal, I went to more A's games. I would hop on BART and uh, go watch Sonny Gray pitch all the time. Well, what's fascinating about that is the fact that you first were going to go to Stanford, right? And then you changed to right. go to Cal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't go over real well. No, I mean, it was, uh, I, I, you know, some stuff happened with Stanford and it just kind of fell through and Cal was always my, in the back of my head and I went there and you know I was able to pitch against Stanford and we got a couple wins against them so uh that's always that's always good news yeah that always had to be probably a really heated thing for you you know because you know let's just like if you commit to USC and you end up going to UCLA or Arizona then to Arizona State there's always going to be a little something there that that had to be a lot of fun yeah I mean it was it was a lot of fun the, the uh, competitive environment of course, was uh, was heightened because of the game, and then and then you know when I get to pitch against them, it's even more. So uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I have nothing but respect for those guys either way, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun to get some wins against them. Tell me about your major league debut. What was that like? Finally getting into a big league game. Uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, the results weren't great, obviously, but uh, you know I went in it went into it with a mindset of, Hey, I'm just going to have fun. And whatever happens, happens. You know, I, I came a long way to get there and, you know, I'm just going to enjoy it no matter what the result. And, you know, Jonah Heim <clears throat> did a great job of calming me down a little bit. And the best thing the A's could have done for me uh, was send me back out there for that second inning. Uh, Cause that was just huge for my confidence uh, getting those, getting those three outs in the second and going into the off season uh, confident, you know, that I can get guys out. You know, when, when, when you know you're finally going to make your major league debut and this is something you've dreamed about your entire life, this is what you want to be, you want to be a major league baseball player, how do you sleep the night before? What is that like? <laughs> oh, I was I was awake at 4 in the morning and I, I couldn't I couldn't fall back to sleep to save my life. But, I mean, it was, it was just so much fun. I, I really embraced the whole process of it, of, you know, I know I'm going to be amped up and I know I'm going to have a lot of adrenaline. Um, and it was, and it was just great. I mean, the guys in the clubhouse were nothing but supportive and happy for me. And, um, you know, it was just a lot of fun. I got to tell you, there's a lot of people predicting that each team is going to go through a lot of starting pitchers this year. I, uh, Scott Emerson has said, there's no data to prove that. Um, just how do you think last year, 60 games, not a full season, you know, stop in spring training, then summer camp, and just how do you think that's going to affect starters this season? Uh, I don't, I don't think it should affect them much. Um, you know, we had a, if anything, I think we'd be a little bit more fresh um, to go. I mean, the guys that came off 
a lot of innings the previous year are obviously, you know, more in tune with their bodies and, and trained well, um, you know, to go another, you know, 150 plus innings. So um, I, I don't think there's going to be much change. I know with the A's there, you know, we have so many young, great pitchers that, you know, if someone didn't need a break or if something happened, then we'd have guys um, that were ready to go. So um, I, I don't think it should affect it much. Um, I mean, our, our guys look great. Manaya, Montas, Bassett, Lozardo, Puck, all those guys look really good. So it should be a fun and exciting year. I'm so glad you said that because there's been a lot of negative Nancy's out there talking about how it's just going to be so tough for pitchers. And I'm like, you know, a lot of you guys, you've been throwing for so many years. I mean, why wouldn't a little break kind of make you fresher? Right. Uh, I mean, it was, like I said before, I think, I think guys like Bassett and Montas and Manaya, that those guys that have gone, um, you know, multiple years in the big leagues and, have gone, you know, 150 plus innings. They're they're in tune with their bodies, where they know what's going on. Same with Lozardo and same with Fires. Um, it's it's uh, it's it just I, I don't really think it it would affect those guys. I mean, if you if you ask those guys, they say yeah, it wouldn't affect us at all. I mean, they're ready to go. They look great. I think being on the backfield for the first you know couple of weeks of spring training really helped them a lot too. Just um, you know finding their cues and and really getting to know themselves. And, uh, you know, it should be fun to watch. You know, one of the big things that we're going to talk about pretty much all year long is going to be, you know, the baseball. It's a dead in baseball. Have you noticed any difference in the baseball? Uh, I haven't noticed any, any difference in baseball. Um, I haven't really talked about it with a lot of guys. Um, so I, I guess we'll see come the season and come the end of spring training here. Um, but no, I mean, the ball feels, feels the same to me. I don't really use any seams, so I can't really see if the seams are higher or lower or anything, but, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really looked into it. Well, Hey man, we really appreciate you stopping by, stay healthy. And, uh, I'm sure we're going to be seeing you in Oakland at some point during the season. Can't wait to watch you pitch. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Some people believe. You're going to need a lot of starting pitching this year. You know, we've seen a year where the A's have started 13 different guys. And we have no idea if they'll even be using the opener. Cody's baby. But I have a feeling we're going to see him this season at some point. I mean, he's having a good spring. Uh, in 13 innings, he struck out 20 batters, and it was, he's only given up, I think, two earned runs. So, I mean, it's a, he made his major league debut last year against Texas. You could tell he's a little nervous. It wasn't a very good outing, but he's he's pitching well in spring training for you to think that he could be the fifth starter if Mike Fires isn't ready to go for opening day. Uh, and A.J. Puck, I think, is going to start Saturday. So, I mean, Puck is going to get one more shot at it, but if he doesn't make the rotation, you better bet next week if it comes out that he's going to be in the bullpen. I'm owning it that I called it. He's going to be a reliever. So Saturday's a big day for A.J. Puck. But Jeffries has pitched well. He's been really, really good for the A's this, uh, this uh, spring training. Same with Cole Irvin, uh, also a friend of the program, Cole Irvin. He's pitched very well, too. Apparently that go-kart racing he does before spring training always it must have put him in a good mindset because he's pitched really well, too. Who? Cole Irvin. Remember when we talked to him? He was, at the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He was in the go-kart racing before he came on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where was that? Was that in Florida? Uh, I think it was North Carolina because he wasn't far from where Emo lives. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what I'm picking up tonight? 
Aren't you? Uh, is this your ring? You finally getting it? Picking up the championship ring six years later, five years later, San Jose Sabercats, the Yankees of the Arena Football League. No, no offense to uh, no offense to our, our friends at the Sharks, but finally a team from SAP Center can win a title. <laughs> it's fair. It's it's true. But but we didn't play we didn't play the championship there because something else was booked. We had to play the championship at the arena in Stockton. The arena bowl was in Stockton. Who'd they play in the final? This is I was living here when this happened. Um God, I don't even remember. Uh was that the last arena bowl too? It was it was the, it was for the that was the last year of the Sabercats, yeah. Twenty and two, one of the great greatest football seasons ever. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I, I I never thought I'd get the ring, but I've been notified, and I'll be picking up my championship ring. You know what? I can't wait. Maybe I wear it on opening day. Supposedly, it's a monster ring. You should wear it to opening day and just uh just keep flashing it to everyone. Uh huh, Fossey. Look at my championship <laughs> ring, Ray. Um, after we. They played the Portland – is it the Portland Thunder? No, maybe it's the Rattlers. I'm, Arizona Rattlers? Is that who they played? I don't think we played the Rattlers. All right, let me look up the Arena Bowl. Cause, All right, let's, let's get to buying or selling. No one cares about you. Hey, hey. That's all true. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Yeah, I'm going to get to buying or selling, but now that I got the Arena Bowl winners up, I'm, I have it right here. The San Jose Sabercats beat the Jacksonville Sharks. Yes. 68 That's to right. 47. 2015, baby. And then, you know, four years prior, the uh, the Sharks beat the Rattlers in the, in the uh, Arena Bowl final. And then three years, uh, the next three years, it was Arizona that won, and then the Sabercats win, and then Philadelphia won two straight, and then Washington, and then the Albany Empire were the last uh, Arena League team to win the championship, it looks like. So, against nice. John Bon Jovi's uh, Philadelphia Soul. Right? He was stole a- it from us. They stole it from us. It was, it was one of the biggest throne games I've ever been a part of. Which one? The last Arena Bowl game? But no, the one that we lost in New Orleans to Bon Jovi and. Uh, oh. Yeah, it, 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 clearly they wanted Bon Jovi to win. They started making these calls that was like, this thing's rigged. It's the only time I've been to a game where I went, this thing is rigged. Like, you could tell it was rigged. Yeah, that was 2008 against the Philadelphia Soul down in New Orleans. Yeah, that was a lot. Oh, that- I had such a good time. Back-to-back years, we went to New Orleans. So were you, were you part of the team when they won the when uh, they won in 07 and in 04? How many years were you at the Sabercats? I was a part of uh, I was a part of 0407 and 2015. I was at K- I was at KMBR doing the morning show at 2002. But I was at that game when the SaberCats upset the Arizona Rattlers in 2002. I was there. So wait, so you technically are a three-time Arena Bowl champion? Uh, two-time because we lost the one year to we lost one year to Von Jovi. Well, it says they won in 04, 07, and then in 15. Maybe that was not, Maybe I was just there for 07 in 2015. Either I'm way, you're still I'm a two-time. Two-time. Yeah. two-time. I'm a two-time. I carried the Warriors to two championships. <laughs> I've carried the Sabercats to two championships. 
I guess, can we say I carried the A's to a playoff victory, finally? Uh, don't forget, you also carried, uh, you also brought a, um, a WrestleMania to Levi Stadium one year, too. I, <laughs> I carried Jack Del Rio and the Raiders into the postseason. Uh, all right, let's get to some real things now. My, my, my Raiders record, all those years doing pre and post, it's really bad. No, well, it's not. It's not. A, uh, it's not as great as your uh, PA announcing career, where you've never lost. Two and zero, baby. Two and zero. Retired. Don't come back to me. I'm in. I'm. I'm going to end my PA career undefeated. I would. I mean, that's that's a look. When 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 we when we eventually write your Wikipedia page, it's going to say two-time Arena Bowl champion, or Arena Bowl champion, undefeated PA announcer at the Oakland Coliseum. Host of Ace Cast Live, the first ever streaming all baseball show, and then whatever else you want to put on. Father, married for X amount of years. Like those are all hey. going to go at the bottom. <laughs> Amelia will never be able to match me. Well, I mean, she got one playoff berth already. Let's see how many she can get. But she's out to a great start already. <laughs> yeah, she's she's one and up. She's one and zero getting into the postseason. Yeah, she's she's on a good run. I mean, it's, it was a it's a, a good first year for her. So, all right. So twenty years ago today. Since we're looking back on things, we saw something incredible happen in spring training. And it wasn't a home run or a great play like a robbery or anything like that. It involved a baseball, a tall left-hander from Livermore, and an innocent uh, bystander known as a bird. 20 years ago, Randy Johnson made a bird disappear with a fastball. The Diamondbacks were hosting the Giants in a spring training game in Arizona. 10,000 people were in attendance. Former A's number one draft pick Kyler Murray's uncle Calvin was the batter when the bird disappeared. Now, here's what his quote was. My initial reaction was, the ball had exploded. I thought it was a practical joke or something, that he threw some tricked-up exploding fastball. It just took a minute for it to process. Remember, the Diamondbacks won the win the World Series that year when this happened. Buying or selling, no pitcher will ever make a bird disappear again. <laughs> I'm going to buy that. And I saw it on Twitter today that this was the anniversary and you just forget. I mean, I feel bad for Randy. I mean, that the bird's dead. The bird died. I mean, it, it's kind of sad. Yeah. And it, it's amazing. The bird was just. It just the ball. The bird is flying across the batter, and then poof! It's. I mean, it was wow. It's impeccable timing for that to happen to Randy Johnson, the big unit. And there's an article in the Athletic. If anybody wants to check it out. They interviewed like 15 different people that were part of the game. So like Henry Shulman's a part of it, Calvin Murray, uh, Rod Barajas, like a bunch of people that were at that game or like in the game were asked about it. It's There were some good quotes in there if, if anyone wants to check it out. But 20 years ago, that happened. And remember, they won the World Series that year too. Might have to ask, uh, might have to ask Bob Belvin about that at some point. So. Yeah, well, like, well, like, like who went out and picked up the bird and how did this all go down? There's feathers everywhere. Yeah, 20 years ago, though. That's crazy. I think that happened 20 years ago already. Now, one of the biggest questions surrounding the Dodgers right now as spring training begins to uh, wind down is their rotation, shockingly. We know they have Kershaw, Buehr, and Bauer, who all got rocked by the uh, Mariners, I believe, over the last few days. Yeah, Bauer did not look good. Either to Buehr or they gave up a bunch of home runs. But what about the other two spots? Well, there, there are four guys competing for those two spots. Julio Urias, Dustin May, a.k.a. Ginger Guard, Tony Gonsolin, the pride of St. Mary's, and David Price, who's coming back after opting out last season, so this will be his first year with the Dodgers. Urias has made four starts, posting a 1.74 ERA and striking out nine over 10 in the third innings. Dustin May 
pitched against the Padres over the weekend and hit 100 and struck out seven and three and two-thirds. Gonsolin struck out five over four and a third on Sunday against the Giants, and David Price has a 2.70 ERA and has struck out four and over a little over six and two-thirds innings so far this spring training. Price says he feels extremely healthy. Now, here's what Price said back in early March. I want my teammates to know that I want us to be the best version of the Dodgers that we can be. And whatever that entails me doing, I'm okay with that. I've done this for a long time, and I know that we have a tremendous amount of talent in our young guys. And those guys deserve the opportunity to go out there and be starters. If it me, if if me going to the bullpen gives those guys more opportunities, I'm all for that. MLB.com projects that Gonsolin and Urias make the rotation. Buying or selling, David Price will start the year in the bullpen for the Dodgers. I don't know. I'll buy that. But all those names you just mentioned, my God, the depth they have at starting pitching. When when Ginger Guard can't can't make the rotation. It's an embarrassment of riches for them. It really is. And they got they got Josiah Gray pitching in the minors who's in is like the next wave of guys for them as well coming up. So they have guys all around them. Now their bullpen is shaky at best, even though Kenley Jansen's velocity's up, so be excited about that if you're a Dodger fan, I guess. But, you know, you got Blake Trinan coming back, building off of a you know pretty good year last year when his 2019 was, uh, you know, abysmal, as we know, watching a pitch for the A's. But hey, 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 why not make Ginger Guard the closer? Well, they got Br- Bruce R. Gratterall that could do that. He throws just as hard. Yeah, but he's not as nasty. No, I agree with you, and I think that'd be a good role for Dustin May because if you're looking to use him as just a guy to get a couple innings after a starter, fine. But, I mean – Put him in a high leverage situation because I think he'd be great at it. Like I said about AJ Puck, like Josh uh, Hader's been, even Devin Williams and the Brewers. There are a lot of good relievers out there, and I think you know I think Dustin May could be one until they want to make him a starter again. Which who knows when that'll be? Because apparently he might not make the rotation out of spring training right now. Anyway, so speaking of Josh Hader, Josh Hader expects to remain more of a traditional ninth inning closer this season after occasionally working multiple innings earlier in his career. Now, here's what he said. The closer role is a good fit. Closer role is a good fit, especially with the, the bullpen arms out there we have. Now, Craig Council said Hader will largely fill the same role as last season. Hader acknowledged that working multiple innings can be a grind and said he appreciated a more defined ninth inning assignment last season. The ups and downs are what's more taxing than anything, especially the amount of pitches. That's something that wears and tears on you over the course of a season. Now, Hader turns 27 in April. He pitched in just 19 innings in 21 games last season. But, but prior to that, he worked in 80, 80 and a third innings in 55 games in 2018 and 75 and two-thirds in 61 games in 2019. Now, remember, the Brewers also have NL reliever of the year, Devin Williams. Buying or selling, Josh Hader will lead the National League in saves in 2021. I'm selling. And I, I don't think the Brewers are going to be as good as you and Himbo want them to be. You gotta buy. You gotta buy into the Brew Crew. I'm not buying into the. I love the unis, great unis, but I'm not buying into the Brew Crew. As you heard Hembo say, this is the year Christian Yelich becomes the best player in baseball. He takes. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think he's gonna be much better than he was last year. I mean, I mean, again, we don't. We're taking 2020 player, you know, seasons with a grain of salt for a lot of guys. So I think Yelich will bounce back. I think Corbin Burns and Woodruff, their two starters, are good. But the rest of their guys, I mean, Josh Lindblom, Brad Anderson, I mean, these are the guys they're throwing out there to be your starters when, I mean, no offense, they're major league pitchers, they're better than I ever will be, but those are the guys you that they're trying to have carry your team. It's going to be a little different 
for the Brewers, but their bullpen will, you know, definitely carry them to win some games, especially those two guys. And there was a video of Devin Williams yesterday. If you want to check out his airbender pitch where he just makes people look silly, it's just unbelievable what he's able to do with his his uh, his changeup. So the Toronto Blue Jays sadly say the Kirby Yates will miss several weeks because of a strained muscle in his forearm, but we found out it may be Tommy John surgery. Yates was expected to be Toronto's closer after signing a one-year, $5.5 million deal with the team this offseason. Yates last pitched Saturday against the Phillies, striking out two in one scoreless inning. It was the second outing of the spring in his first since March 11th. Yates was an all-star in 2019 with the Padres, where he posted a 1.19 ERA and led the National League in saves with 41. He only pitched in six games last year for the Padres because he had to have bone chips removed from his elbow. The Jays have a lot of high expectations due to the signings of Marcus Simeon and Yates and George Springer, so this is a damaging blow for them. Buying or selling the Blue Jays will miss the postseason in 2021. I'm buying. I, I mean, there's only, I mean, I don't think they're going to win the division, and then that means they'd have to be a wild card team, and I think they're probably the third best team in their own division. So I, I'm going to – I, I – I will be pulling for our Jays. How about that? Our friends north of the border who actually play south of the border who <laughs> are going to be in Florida, and then they're going to probably go to Buffalo. I, I, you know what, though? They're so young. Maybe this doesn't – maybe it doesn't phase them. I mean, they, they did it last year. They played in Buffalo last year. Maybe it doesn't phase them at all. I could be totally wrong. Yeah, I – it's hard. I don't think that I, this is a, uh, I guess you can say this is a hot take. I didn't think the Jays are going to make the playoffs this year anyway. They're building towards something. I, I give them that, but I didn't think, I don't, I don't think they're there just yet to build towards the postseason. Now, if they can get more starting pitching to go along with Ryu and Tanner Roark and Robbie Ray and, and Nate Pearson can be more effective, I think they have something with their young talent, but I just don't, in that division with the Rays and the, and the Yankees and Boston's not going to be down forever, but. It, it's, how, many, how many how many games is John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge going to play? Whatever the number is, give me the under. So, <laughs> the, the, hey, 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 we do know this: the Jays are coming. This is a young, strong core. They're gonna they're they're at some point they're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be tough to beat. I agree. All right, last one. I'll get to this quickly. Uh, news broke over the weekend about the Nets, the Nets, the Mets and Francisco Lindor. Now, a few years ago, Lindor turned out a $200 million contract offer from the Indians. Well, according to John Heyman, the Mets are willing to go close to $300 million. Lindor has set opening day as a deadline for the extension. Will Lindor budge and take the deal? Remember, Fernando Tatis got a record deal, but if Lindor goes, say, 10 for $300 million, that's at least more of an AAV than what Fernando Tatis Jr. got, which... Um, spoiler, I, I don't know if he's going to be ready for opening day. He's kind of hurt, but we don't know what the injury is. But buying or selling, Francisco Lindor will sign his extension before April 1st with the Mets. I'll buy. That'd be so good for them if he did. That'd be so that, great. That, it's, it's Mookie Betts all over again. I mean, seriously, if someone offers you $300 million, how do you turn that down? How do you say, meh? I'm going to wait. I mean, then all the pressure is going to be on you. You're in a contract year. 
It just, I mean, someone's going to, I mean, how do you turn, how do you turn that down? Seriously, $300 million. Where else is he going to get that? Yeah, we went through this. It's it's tough to find anywhere for him to get it. And the the, the follow-up to that would be buying or selling. A Mets fan will put a billboard in Cleveland thanking them for Francisco Lindor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt that. But, like, seriously, when, when like, Acuna – Junior signed his deal, and people are like, ah, oh, he could get a lot more. Like, someone's saying here, you put your signature on this contract, and I guarantee you 100 and whatever you signed for 15, 20 million, or whatever. 120, yeah. Like, how do you turn that? Why do you say no to that? I mean, how do you really say no to someone saying, I'm going to give you $300 million? What happens if you go out and completely shatter your knee? What happens if you get hit in the face and it messes up your eyesight, which has happened? Kirby Puckett. I mean, here's a chance to grab $300 million for your family. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah, no, I I don't know how you, like, when we see these things about players turning down deals. Now, he turned down the $200 million, and we saw earlier today, apparently according to John Heyman also, that, after the Astros gave Lance McCullers five years, $85 million, or the Madison Bumgarner deal, Carlos Correa apparently was offered a six-year, $120 million deal, and he turned it down. Now, I think he can, he can get more money than that in the open market because I still think he's hasn't even tapped his potential yet. But with Lindor, I definitely think that you can't turn down $300 million. And you're going to be playing in New York. It's not like you're getting $300 million to play in Seattle or $300 million to play in Tampa. You're getting it to play in New York City. Who was the guy – that turned down over a hundred million. God, who was that? And then never got anything close to it again. There's somebody out there that turned down a huge contract, bet on themselves. Oh, well, I was. This is a different guy, but Tim Lincecum. Yeah, he's one. Um, he turned down over a hundred million. Ne- never, never made that. God, but there's a hitter. I, the guy that always comes to my mind for this is Mike Moustakis, but he didn't get offered that from the Royals. He got offered a bunch oh, of money. No, no. I, I want to say Ian Desmond. No, that's not it. Yeah, yeah he got offered $70 million from the Rockies. Somebody turned down $100 million I, and, and just never never even come close. I mean, look at Lincecum. He was offered what, – what, he was reportedly offered, what, around $100 million or a little bit more? Yeah. And look at him. He was out of. I mean, I mean, he after a couple of years, he was barely even in baseball. Yeah, thirty-two years old, and he made two point five million from the Angels. Had a hundred. Now he ended up making a hundred million in his career. His his arbitration was really good, but he he'd have a lot more money if he would have took the Giants' offer. He gambled on himself and failed. That's unbelievable. All right, so that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. Are we playing the three-hour and 17-minute bloodbath, the A's over the White Sox, or are, we playing the, or are we replaying the show? So we're going to replay the show, and then the A's uh, dismantling of the A, everyone's favorite AL Central, Chicago White Sox, on the where? Uh, 
I guess if it's not the north side, it'd have to be the south side. That's correct. The Southsiders uh, get it get it handed to them by the A's. Essentially, uh, no Chapman, no Olsen, but Seth Brown and other guys. I think they had four home runs in the game. What what dead in baseball are you talking about? Antonio LaRusso is going to use a ton of pitchers. <laughs> Can't wait. All right, we'll be back on Friday from – we 4-7 to seven on Friday? Tentatively 4-7, to seven, but if we have a three-hour and 17-minute long game again, uh, we'll see. And then after that, folks, next week we'll be on Monday and then Wednesday, the day before opening day, and then starting Thursday, we're back Monday through Friday. It's game on. Cannot wait. Thank you for listening, everybody. Be safe, and we'll see you on Friday. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 